If you have a story you would like to hear featured on this podcast, please go to AsTheRavenDreams.com and click the button to submit your story. Also, if the platform you're listening on has the option to rate this podcast, please consider doing so. And thank you. Growing up, me and my brother lived in my grandparents' home with our mother. She had us at a young age, so my parents didn't last long. My grandparents helped raise us while my mother went back and forth between working and trying to live like a teenager with no kids. We could go a few days without seeing her. Our grandparents would get us off to school, feed us, bathe us, my mother didn't care much for responsibilities. The less work she had to do, the better. Which is why none of her jobs lasted more than six months, and she was always taking advantage of whatever she could get. Like unemployment. I bring this up because it shows how much I respected my grandparents and looked up to them. When my mom ran off with someone to another state, thinking that they would get married then come back to us, and have this rich life. My grandparents were the ones that paid for our school fees, bought us lunch, helped with homework, all of that. My grandmother it was such a kind and giving person. She taught me everything I needed to know about cooking, fixing and mending my own clothes. She helped me learn how to do my own hair, while well, my grandfather always tried teaching me and my brother how to be self-sufficient and fix things on our own. He acted tough, but he had a soft heart as well. He was always giving my mother another chance just for her to take advantage of them over and over again. And this always made for interesting holidays. The house wasn't huge, but it certainly wasn't small either. It was a three-bedroom, but they had a big backyard, so the holidays were usually spent over there. My grandparents would always be in the same spot inside. Grandpa would be sitting in his big recliner, and Grandma in her rocking chair that he had made for her. Outside, they had two rocking lawn chairs they always sat in, while everyone else had to decide where they wanted to be. It was a perfect view of the whole yard, so they could see everyone coming and going, and on the 4th of July, it was a perfect view of the fireworks going straight up. My grandmother loved the fountains. She didn't care much for the huge mortars that went into the sky, but the little ones that always had a story to them and different colors, she loved those. As we grew up, my mom continued being the same person she was, so she became more of a distant relative. However, when my grandfather passed away a few years after I graduated high school, she was around more often, trying to care for my grandmother. I ended up getting an apartment nearby to help out as well. When I would come over, we would begin to hear weird sounds or have weird events occur and my grandma would always say it was grandpa watching over us. I used to just shrug it off, 
thinking it was just something people said to help cope with the loss. I'm sure feeling like someone is close to you that you've lost can ease the pain. I began to believe it more and more when I would personally experience things. My nickname that my grandpa gave me was Buttons, because I started collecting them. I've bought many clothing items, purses, and bags just because I liked the way they looked, and would cut out the buttons and use the items for something else. My grandfather worked at a junkyard, and if he ever found any, he would always bring them home to me too. And so, when I started finding buttons that I'd never seen before in places they shouldn't be, I really felt like it was him giving them to me as gifts. I became a little more open to the possibility from then on. So, continuing with tradition, we would always keep Grandpa's seat open for the 4th of July, so he could be there with my grandma. Over the years, I ended up getting married and my husband moved in with me. My mom also started losing interest in helping out my grandma, so she would begin disappearing for days again, so I would have to go over to make sure she had enough food and toiletries, and just make sure she was okay. My brother also moved out of state, so there was little that he could do to help. I'm thankful my husband was always understanding when I would have to go over there after work, or when he was willing to help me to get her groceries for her. Sadly, my grandmother passed away too, due to heart complications, and once again, that meant that my mother would be back around. She wanted to help as much as possible with the funeral arrangements. She spent time with me and my husband too, and actually kind of seemed like a normal person. However, I would learn that it was more so to find out about her will. My grandpa, of course, left everything to my grandmother if she survived. So, now she would actually get something out of them. Turns out, they actually left her their house. But most of the money they had saved, they gave it to me and my brother. I could tell this angered my mom because she wanted the opposite. She threw many hints at us about it too, but... We always ignored it, or changed the subject. She actually moved into the house. We stopped talking to her for the most part, and just went about our lives. I ended up putting the money I got into savings to hold on to, as we were planning on getting our own home, and starting a family. To speed this along, it was less than two years since my grandmother's passing for my mom to destroy that house. I went over there a few times, and she had tried to sell almost everything she could. When she tried selling their lawn chairs, I actually paid her for them, and begged her to keep them there until I had a place. Since she started running out of money and couldn't pay for the repairs, she was actually trying to find someone to sell the house. She tried letting her friends live there, but quickly learned that, much like her, they didn't want to pay rent. I couldn't stand to see this house go to someone else or take any more damage, so after talking to my husband, we agreed to try and buy it from my mom. After many discussions and her asking for ridiculous amounts, she finally agreed to let us have it. 
we made very strict rules about her not being able to show up uninvited and that the locks would be changed to prevent this too, and she agreed. Of course, saying one thing and following through are two totally different things. Throughout the next year or so, we made the necessary repairs and moved in, but I noticed that, unlike my grandfather was in the past, there seemed to be no presence of either of them. I would notice this on those bad days, where I just wished they were still around to see what I had all achieved. This made it even harder when I was pregnant and had my first child. I wanted them to be able to meet her, and show her that grandparent love that I got. Before I continue, I will say that shortly before my daughter was born, I cut all ties with my mother. We found out she was involved in some really shady and dangerous things as well as people. She brought someone to my baby shower, uninvited, and they tried doing coke in my bathroom. I told them to leave before I called the cops, and that she was never allowed to come back. She has not met my daughter and she tries calling to see her in between asking for money, so I blocked her number and tried to move on without her in my life. Now, my daughter was born healthy and happy in April. Other than my husband's birthday in June, the next big holiday coming up was going to be the 4th of July. So, we wanted to have a small party with a few friends. As we started setting up the yard... I remembered the lawn chairs, and I dug around the shed to find them. They weren't taken care of like I would have liked, but they were still there. So, I cleaned them up and put them right back where they belonged. When we went to get our fireworks, I saw a huge fountain called the Beautiful Rose. My grandmother's name was Rose, and I just knew that she would love it, so I happily brought it home with me. The party was going great, as I expected. At one point, I went and laid my daughter down to sleep. I turned on the monitor and clipped the other one to my shirt so I could hear her if she woke up. While we were outside, a friend asked about the lawn chairs, and I explained their history. When I went over to move a plate that was sitting in one of the chairs, I noticed something under it. It was a button with the name Chloe on it, my daughter's name. It was odd that it was under the chair, and after a quick thought, I knew it was my grandfather, which made me ecstatic. As the night progressed, though, I started having more events like this occur. It may sound weird to some, but I would find the letter C everywhere. When we would move the dead fireworks... I would pick up the shredded pieces of paper, I would throw the plates away and the sauce on it would make a letter. I mentioned it in passing to my friend who was there who was very spiritual, and she said it may be a sign from someone else. At first I chuckled at the idea, and then became curious. So I went and grabbed the piece that I recently threw away in the plate, and to my surprise, it spelled out Chloe again. I thought I was crazy, but then my friend asked if she was okay. I thought it was weird at first because I knew she was fine until she said it may be their way of getting my attention. So, we went to her room and as I opened the door, 
To my horror, Chloe was not in her bed. The window was open, and the monitor had been turned off. My friend ran to get my husband as I ran to the window. Her room faced the front of the house, and we were all out back, so we didn't notice. As I ran out the front door, I noticed someone sitting under her window. As I approached the person, preparing to knock them out, I realized it was my mother, rocking my daughter back and forth. I grabbed her from her, as I noticed she was obviously on something. She was twitching a lot and trying to talk, but could hardly make a sentence or stand up on her own. I started screaming at her, and all she could say was sorry and choking. I started looking at Chloe when I noticed she wasn't hardly moving. I brought her inside and then noticed that she was turning purple. By the time the police and ambulances showed up, we found out she came over wanting to meet Chloe, high on something. She had a bottle of apple juice and she was trying to feed it to her, and she nearly made her choke and drown. Thankfully, Chloe was okay. My mom? She was taken to jail since she had stuff on her too, and we decided not to press charges but did get a restraining order. We haven't heard from her in quite some time, but my brother still talks to her. He claims that she's cleaned up and doing better, but I'm still not sure that I'm ready to see her. If I had waited much longer to check on her, Chloe could have had brain damage. To this day, I'm certain that it was my grandparents trying to get my attention. From the button letting me know they were there, and all the letters trying their hardest to warn me, I'm definitely more accepting of paranormal experiences now, and I do think that they are still helping me raise her, even if they're not physically there. This happened to me yesterday, and I'm still processing it. To preface... I live in northern Wisconsin in an area that has a large Ojibwa population. One thing I've learned from living there is if a native tells you something is wrong, you listen to them. They've been here longer than us, and they know what's going on. I'm 16, female, and a junior in high school. Last night was my junior prom, and I went with my boyfriend. Because of COVID, prom was hosted by parents a couple towns over at a town hall. We had to drive, and my boyfriend picked me up. The highway that leads to this town is desolate and runs straight through the forest. It's about 15 miles long. This would be fine, but then we entered this specific area on the highway. I'm a pretty level-headed person. I don't scare easily. When we entered this area, I felt nothing but pure terror. We were surrounded by nothing but woods, and I felt like I was being hunted. There were these garbage bags on the side of the road. The first garbage bag was on the left side of the road. I pointed it out to my boyfriend, and... He said that someone probably dumped it there so they wouldn't have to pay for garbage pickup. I believed him, 
until he came upon two more garbage bags a couple miles down the road. They were on opposite sides of the road, equal lengths apart. I shrugged it off. Then equal distances away, there were two more garbage bags. This continued for the remainder of the stretch of the road, until the end where there was a single garbage bag now on the right. I told my boyfriend that the road was giving me a weird vibe, and he did his best to calm my anxieties. He thought I was worried because the road had a fast speed limit, 65 to 70, but it wasn't a fear like that. It was a primal fear. Something there above me on the food chain. Everything was fine until we left the dance. Pulling out of the parking lot, there was a cop. The cop pulled onto the highway leading to this road when they saw us coming. They didn't use a turn signal, which was illegal. The cops started acting very weird while in front of us. They were swerving, kept hugging the line. And then right before we reached the road, the cop, with no warning, I may add, just stopped and did a U-turn not even 50 feet from our car and hauled ass off the road. No sirens, no lights, and not even a freaking turn signal. My boyfriend and I were weirded out. It didn't help that this road was pitch black and the only light was his car's crappy high beams. We then entered the road, and, again, I was terrified. After passing the first garbage bag, the sense of primal fear returned. I wanted out. I started shaking and crying, and again, my boyfriend did his very best to comfort me. He suggested pulling over until I calmed down, but I refused. In that moment, I was sure that if we pulled over, we would die. I just kept repeating the phrase, something's not right here. He then stepped on the gas. Being 9.30 to 10 at night, we were the only ones on the road. Off in the distance behind us, we saw a glowing pair of LED brights. They were pulling up on us fast. And might I keep you in mind that the speed limit here was 65 to 70. In this car was going at least 85 to 90, and this driver was none other than the cop from before. And this cop, again, no sirens or lights, sped right past us and off into the distance. Something in my gut told me that whoever was in that car was feeling the same way that I was. Nothing changed for a bit. My boyfriend talked me down, and I was calm, but then suddenly, I felt that terror again. It was stronger than ever. I started having a panic attack and screaming. I was crying and begging my boyfriend to leave because something was wrong. Then, I looked out my window. And I saw them. There were five to ten little creatures coming out of the woods. One of them looked me right in the eyes and... I knew this thing was a predator. They were a bit larger than a raccoon and walked on all fours, completely hairless. They looked humanoid and wrinkled. Imagine the top half of the Fuji mermaid, but larger and not dried out. Another way to describe them 
it would be a smaller version of the rake. They had eyes that reflected the light or that glowed in the dark. They were skinny and frail looking. I screamed and I begged my boyfriend to keep driving. He obliged and did. Eventually, we left that road and got back to a more populated area of the highway. He pulled over and began to comfort me. I was having a panic attack. I tried to tell him what it was I saw, but I just couldn't. I told him that I saw a malformed raccoon. He just laughed it off. We returned to my house, and I was terrified. I had explained to my mother that something was wrong with that road. She shrugged it off, but allowed my boyfriend to stay the night, which made me feel better that he didn't have to leave and got to stay at my house, away from the woods and those things. My dad, whom we told about the cop, said the cop was just trying to rouse us, that he was hoping that we would make a mistake and they could ticket us for it. I'm not sure if that's true. I called my best friend today, my BFF is Ojibwa, who practices the beliefs and cultures. When we were talking, I couldn't help but spill. I told her about the creatures in the woods, and the cop, and the trash bags. She sounded worried. She said the trash bags were most likely from people who volunteer to clean the highways, which I can agree with. They were clear bags, I could see trash in them. She was worried more so about the creatures. She started asking me questions. She asked if I was on my period. She asked about the spiritual healing practice my mother takes me to. She asked about if I had tried to contact a spirit or if I tried to play with something dead. I told her about the natural healing. My mother has me doing NAET for my allergies and that I hadn't tried to play with the dead. I told her that that day was the day after my period had just finished. She told me in a concerned voice that the NAET may have opened my third eye, and that those creatures may have been attracted to me because of my period. She told me that she was going to give me sage, and that I needed to use it. She asked me to redraw what I saw, and I did. I sent the picture to her. She said it was weird but that I should be safe. I'm still shaken up. Those things wanted me and were out for blood. I don't think I'll ever go there again. Me and a couple of friends like to go urban exploring. It started out when we were kids. There was a house down the street that had been condemned after the old lady that lived in it passed away. Me and my friends, Andre and Stacy, who lived on the same street as me, talked about going in there and looking around. So, one night, we agreed to take a look. We found a few treasures and safely left from there, It definitely sparked our interest in future explorations. This made up most of our summers. We would find other small houses, shacks, or even old buildings that may have been abandoned or gutted after a a fire or something. 
I bring this up because it's ultimately what led us to these following events. After graduation, Stacy moved out of state for a job offer, while Andre and I still lived close by. Keeping in touch with us, Stacy always called us to talk about life where she lived, and that we needed to come check out her new place. She always knew what to say, though, to really tie us in. She said she was purposely looking for places for us to explore, and found out that there was a really old school that had been closed for decades, about two hours from her. After she sent us some pictures when she passed by it and looked up the directions, we were convinced. So, a few months away from summer, we started making our arrangements to head out there. With summer vacation starting, Andre and I drove out to her place, preparing to be there for about a week or so. Upon arriving, Stacy greeted us and got Andre set up in the spare bedroom, and I offered to take the couch. That night, we caught up over dinner, and she started showing us more pictures that she had taken from the outside. She wanted to go in, but decided to wait until she had us with her because she knew that we would be interested. The school sat in the middle of an overgrown field. From the satellite map, it looked like there was a small shed or house a few yards away. There was a fence surrounding it, so we were definitely going to be trespassing. And this is where I say don't do this. It was a stupid idea. Only go to places open to the public. So, we basically brainstormed what all tools and equipment we wanted to bring with us, packed everything up, and settled in for the night. The next evening, we headed out to the location. We wanted to go later on so there would be less traffic around, and hopefully less people likely to report us. We took Stacy's car since it had local tags, and parked off the side of a gravel road next to the property. The fencing wasn't anything fancy, just chicken wire, basically, secured to posts. There wasn't even barbed wire above it, so we bent the top of the wire down, hopped over, and proceeded to the entrance. The door? It was barely a door. It was only on the top hinges, and the bottom part looked like it had been crumbling away. There was a big piece of thin wood in front of it, but it was only nailed to the top, so you could easily bend it up to slide under it. This was our way in. Upon entering, you could tell the air was... stagnant. You could smell mildew, old wood, and maybe even that smell of decay. Like, the smell that a lot of old buildings start having. If you do this, or start doing it, you'll recognize the smell. Most, if not all, of the windows were boarded up, so you could just see the light of the sunset peeking in the cracks. We put on our masks because you never know what you could be breathing in, grabbed our flashlights and headlamps, and started figuring out where to start. There were two floors, and one set of stairs to the right from what we could tell. 
we started on the first floor, of course. We walked to the left to see two classrooms on one side, and the gym and cafeteria on the other. We entered the first classroom. Most of the desks were still in their place. There was a bookshelf in the corner with some heavily damaged books and old toys on it. The pages in the books were all stuck together, most likely due to water damage, as the window right above it was broken out and poorly boarded up. There was still string hanging up from above the chalkboard for, like, a party banner or something of that sort. It was interesting to look at, and even though we didn't go to the school, it still brought back some good memories from those times. As we were looking around, we started hearing a scuffling sound coming from above us. Now, this isn't our first time, as mentioned. We've made rules for ourselves if we ever run into trouble, such as cops, animals, or other people. A lot of places are bound to have animals living in them. Not a lot of people are going to bother going in there, so they don't have to worry about danger. You just have to give them their space for the most part. You may run into squatters, and as long as they're non-violent... You can usually just walk out without much interaction. As for police, if there are trespassing signs, then you know the risk that you're taking. We've only run into them twice. Once as teenagers, and they just escorted us home. And the second time, they suggested we leave due to the structure not being safe. With that being said... We just go quiet for a second to see if we heard anything else, or any talking accompanying the sound. We heard nothing, so we assumed it to be an animal, and moved on. We walked over to the gym to see what we could find. There was a basket in the back with deflated dodgeballs, covered in a blanket of dust. Stacy found an old doll that she ended up putting in her bag to take home. She said it reminded her of an old doll her mom or her grandmother had, but to me, it was just creepy looking. As we continued to look around, we heard more shuffling upstairs and paused. This time, we heard what sounded like a really weird meow. Andre made a comment about that not sounding like a cat, while Stacy argued that it was. It sounded enough like a meow to me at the time, though. We then made our way over by the stairs, where there also appeared to be an office for maybe a principal, a nurse's office, and a faculty room. It was starting to get a little darker, so we decided to head upstairs before it was too dark, so we could check out what was up there, then make our way back down to the offices. As we headed up, we could hear more noise, and now it sounded like it was coming from one of the back classes. Stacy was interested in finding the cat while Andre was hesitant. He had a point, that we did have to be cautious in case it had rabies, or was just aggressive. So we at least convinced Stacy to hold back some. We went into one of the rooms closest to the stairs when we started hearing whimpering like a small puppy but 
This one definitely did not sound right. Stacy and Andre agreed, but Stacy thought maybe the dog was just ill or scared. After a little back and forth, we opted to check what the sound was coming from so we could all relax and explore more. We started heading towards the back when the meowing started again, and this time, it legit just sounded like a person meowing. I remember Stacy staying back a bit while I entered the room, followed by Andre. It was another classroom, but appeared to be for younger children like a nursery. In one corner, there were maybe six or seven cribs stacked on each other to make, like, a sectioned-off part of the room. Of course, that would be where the sound was coming from, too. As we walked in further, we turned on our flashlight to point into the corner, and that's when we saw a full-grown man crouching naked in front of us. Embarrassed, Andre and I turned around, and I apologized for intruding, as I was about to say that we would leave, the dude starts barking at us. Stacy was asking us from the doorway what was happening when Andre started laughing and shouting about a crazy guy living here. As we started walking back, and while Andre continues to poke fun at the guy, his barks became louder and more and more aggressive. I'd swear that was a dog if I hadn't seen him. I told them it was best that we just leave when Andre yelled, Look out! Before I could register what he said, this guy had jumped on me and was scratching at my back. I tried to turn over, but this guy had to be at least 200 pounds, so it was a struggle. Thankfully, Andre ran over and punched the guy in the head, which caused him to stumble back a bit, enough for him to help me up. I stood there for a second looking at this guy as I tried to gain back my composure when he proceeded to crouch on his hands and feet and growl. Stacy started yelling at us that we just needed to leave, so we started walking quickly away when I looked back to see this guy walk out of the room still on all fours. He started kicking back his legs and Andre shouted, Oh, hell no. And the guy started running for us. I have never seen a human run so fast on his hands and feet. It was terrifying. We got to the stairs and got to the bottom, and I jumped from the second to last stair or something like that, and my foot went through the floor. So once again, I'm falling to the floor with both of them yelling at me and this guy closing in. I remember Andre yelling at Stacy to pry open the door, and he helped me up again. Right as we got to the door, the dude had fallen from the top of the stairs to the bottom. I kid you not, it was like he just fell over the side and landed in front of us, nearly scaring the hell out of me, but he looked like he had knocked himself unconscious. I stared at him for a second to see if he was still breathing at least. The guy was just skin and bone. I could see his spine clinging to his skin and his arms and legs looked frail and thin. You could even see his cheekbones nearly protruding his face. 
He was terrifying looking. Stacy yelled at us, so we made our way to the door. We got out, made sure we didn't lose anything too important, and weren't hurt, and started making our way to the fence. As we were climbing over it, we saw that man again. This time, he was standing on the school entrance by the door, just staring at us. He wasn't moving or barking, still on all fours, but just watching. We didn't waste any time after that, though. We ran to the car, got in, and locked the doors immediately. We looked up, and the guy was now howling. We went to grab our phone to take a picture, but the guy quickly ran back inside, and we obviously never saw him again. So, that scared the hell out of us for the night. We went back to her place, had a few beers to try to calm down and laugh it off. We were debating on if we should call the cops to get the guy help, or if we would be worse off for trespassing. Andre thought it was probably someone really messed up on drugs, and he had just found a place to call home, but it was terrifying. It hasn't stopped us from our adventures since, but we did add that to our rules. If we find weird people, we leave ASAP. I'm trying to convince them to go back there with me next summer so we can see if the guy is still there and maybe get photos for proof. So, did we run into just some really messed up guy? Or do you think maybe there was something more to it? So... I had a crazy ex that I didn't know was crazy back whenever we dated. In fact, he seemed pretty normal back then. Of course, he wasn't in the end, otherwise there wouldn't be a story to tell here. I guess for a bit of disclaimer or disclosure, this is a messed up story, and as they all are, if you aren't good with crazy people or really messed up situations, then I highly recommend you stop reading here. I will start by telling the story about myself and this person. My name is Amy, and his name is Maverick, but we all called him Mav. Mav and I met each other at a football game back in high school during freshman year, and we hit it off pretty much right away. Back then, I was, unfortunately, and admittedly, in the popular girls' clique. He was a bit of a goth-slash-emo type, which is why it was odd that he and I got along so well from the first minute. Something about not judging a book by its cover, I guess. Of all things... We actually bonded strongly over music. He had me listen to something by some screamo band, and I fell in love with it. From that day, we actually hung out frequently, and we became super close. My friends weren't into him because he was emo and dressed in all black, but I didn't really care and I liked him, so we ended up actually dating near the end of that year. During summer break, we were together quite a bit. We spent time together at each other's house, met each other's parents, 
And honestly, it was one of those high school sweetheart situations where I think our parents were under the impression that we would stay together for a while. My dad actually liked him. He was respectful and polite, and while he may have looked all dark and brooding, he was, in my dad's words, the nicest boy that he'd ever met. His parents seemed to like me. I think they were surprised that he got me as a girlfriend, which I know that may sound conceited, but we were polar opposites. Anyways, we spent all of the summer together, and we went to the park, the movies, all the basic things that you do when you're dating someone in high school. During our sophomore year, unfortunately, Mav started hanging around the stoner kids that were seniors, and pretty quickly got pressured into becoming one of them. This was a deal breaker for me. We got into an argument slash conversation, and I told him that if he was going to start down that road, then I wasn't going to be able to be with him. He chose pot over me, so I broke it off. It sucked. I really liked him. We got along well enough, and I had so many good times with him for the almost full year that we dated, but he wasn't willing to abandon his new vice for me. So, that was that. We didn't really talk much after that. I dated other guys, he dated other girls, and really, life just moved on from there. We kind of started talking again the last semester of my senior year, mostly because we had photography class together, and we worked on a few projects together. There was one point where we were working on a project together, and as I was leaving, he gave me a hug and then a quick peck on the cheek. And while it was a bit nostalgic at the time, I told him there was nothing between us other than friendship, and while I really loved the time we had together a couple years back, there was no future for us. He looked upset, but he nodded and told me that he understood. Now, all of this was basically to set up that we had a normal high school romance that ended with us just being friends. There was nothing else there, and I thought that was that. I was, apparently, wrong. After high school, he moved out of state with his parents, and I stayed close to home and went into nursing for college and then got a job. Basically, we were as far apart as we could have been, and the time we spent together was long forgotten. Then, out of nowhere, I get a friend request on Facebook from Maverick. I was actually pretty excited to talk to him since, at that point, it had been about eight years. So, I accepted the friend request and messaged him. I asked him how things were, and I did what we all do. I stalked his profile a bit. I found out he was married, living in the next state over, and working in IT. He messaged me back and was telling me all about his life after high school. I told him about my endeavors and all that I had done since then. I commented that I saw that he had finally found someone, and that she was gorgeous. She really was. And I told him that I was beyond ecstatic for the fact that things worked out for him. He then responded by asking me if I was with anyone, 
and he stated that he noticed I was still going by my maiden name. I informed him that I was not with anyone, that my last relationship ended a bit abruptly, and that I was pretty happy with my life and wasn't in any rush to get with anyone new. Then, he told me that he and his wife were actually moving back to our hometown for a job, and that he wanted to get together when he was here. I was a bit hesitant at first, but honestly was also excited to see him and to catch up more. We agreed that when he moved back to town, we would hang out and get coffee or something and just spend some time reminiscing about high school. The next day, I got a text from one of my friends mentioning that they got a friend request from Mav and that I should be careful, which was incredibly strange. I messaged her back and I asked her why I should be careful. She asked if I had forgotten how crazy he was. I was completely taken aback. I had no clue what she was talking about. So, I called her, and I asked her to explain. She started talking to me about him, and how he was absolutely obsessed with me back in high school. She said that I was the only thing he ever talked about with his friends, and that he had pictures of me taped to his wall, and that his freaky obsession was the reason that he couldn't hold down a relationship. She then went on to tell me that the one day in high school that he kissed me on the cheek and I turned him down, he had apparently told all of his friends that he was going to commit suicide because I wouldn't be with him. They had talked him away from it, but he was adamant that his life was worthless without me and that he needed to be with me. She was surprised to hear that I had honestly no idea about any of this. I hadn't heard a word about this at all, and was genuinely shocked. We ended the conversation with me saying that I would be careful around him, and we left it at that. Now, obviously, I was a bit freaked out, but at the same time, he was married. He had a wife at this point, and a career, and his own life. So... While he may have been a bit obsessive back then, I didn't think it would mean much at this point, right? He had clearly moved on and there was nothing to worry about, right? Anyways, a couple weeks went by and I got a call from Mav on a Saturday morning, telling me that they were all moved in and that he really needed to get with me that morning to talk. I didn't have plans and... While I didn't like that he was wanting to go have coffee so quickly, mostly because it didn't bode well after finding out that he was creepily obsessed with me, I agreed. I asked him if his lovely wife would be joining us, and he paused for a moment, and then said that she was busy and wouldn't be able to make it. Oh boy, coffee alone with an ex that used to be overly obsessed with me. Sounds like a great time, really. Me being the optimist I was, honestly thought that he was just wanting to get together and have coffee and be friends, and that's really what I expected. He showed up, and he looked nothing like I had remembered him looking. Long gone were the trip pants and long black hair, and they were replaced by a closely shaved head, khakis, and a button-down shirt. I mentioned to him that he looked nice and 
that it was a bit strange to see him wearing anything other than black. He laughed, and then looked me dead in the eyes and said, Do you really like it? If you don't, I can go change. I brought some of my clothes from high school that still fit me, just in case she wanted me to wear those. I chuckled, thinking that it was a joke, but he didn't change his expression at all. I immediately changed the subject, and I asked him about his wife and his job. He quickly started dodging the questions and then started asking me about myself, what I had been up to since high school, had I been with many guys, which was way too personal, did I have any kids yet, just a barrage of really strange and personal questions, including some that were incredibly inappropriate for coffee shop conversations. Then, out of nowhere, he asked if he could come back with me to my place. I was legit shocked by this. I shook my head and said that I had apparently made a huge mistake, thinking that he just wanted to chat and didn't want anything more out of this. I told him his behavior was disgusting, and doubly so as a married man. I told him that I wouldn't go tell his wife about how he had acted, but that he really needed to sit down with her and have a conversation about them and their future, because he clearly wasn't willing to remain faithful. He did not like this. He seriously started screaming at me about how I ruined his life, and how I was meant to be his. He was yelling at the top of his lungs, mind you, in the middle of a Starbucks, about how I needed to be with him, and how he and I were soulmates, destined to be together for the rest of our lives. Long story cut a bit shorter on this one, they called the cops on him, because of how aggressive he was getting with his screaming and berating. They showed up, and he was still screaming, and then he turned his aggression on them. Thankfully, they had tasers, and they dropped him without any hesitation, and then hauled him away. And, while this was the last time that he and I spoke, it wasn't the end of this situation. I actually got called down to the station the next day to talk with the police about what had happened. Honestly, I thought they were just going to have me confirm that he made a scene and tell them what was going on. But, no, there was a lot more to it. They did ask me what was going on, and they were asking if he and I were in a relationship. Then they asked if we had made any sort of plans to be together, I laughed and told them no, that we were just old high school friends and that this was literally us getting together for coffee and to catch up. And then, the bombshell. They said that after the whole event went down, they actually searched his car. They did so, and were allowed to do so, because in plain view there was a change of clothing covered in blood. There was also a rather large knife, also covered in blood, and various items that could be used to bind someone. They said they had spoken to him about it, and 
he was incredibly direct and honest with them. He told them that he had killed his wife. He literally slit her throat and left her bleeding in their home, and he had left the murder weapon and bloody clothing in the passenger seat. He told them that he and I met there because we were going to run away together and start a new life, and that I was in on it because I agreed to get with him. I thought when he said he wanted us to get together, he meant as friends for coffee. He thought I had agreed to spend the rest of my life with him on the run after he had murdered his wife. I spent a lot of time with the police, explaining my place in this. I showed them all of our texts, the Facebook messages. They asked about what we talked about when he had called me that morning, and I explained it was just him saying that we could meet that day. I feel like there was a bit of suspicion on me because of what he had been telling them, but they eventually were satisfied that I had nothing to do with it, and they decided to leave me alone. He, on the other hand, got charged with murder, and they decided to throw on a conspiracy to commit kidnapping charge because of the rope and duct tape, which tells me they had enough reason to believe he was going to try to take me forcefully. So, that's my story about my creepy ex-Maverick. That was also a homicidal maniac, and then was, unbeknownst to me, obsessed with me, all throughout high school and apparently after. Final note, ladies, listen to your friends if they tell you someone is a creep, especially if they then tell you a bunch of things you didn't know. And Mav, I hope you and I never cross paths again, and I really hope that your wife is able to rest in peace. You disgusting bastard. This story happened to me back when I was in college. I would have been around 21, I believe, which means that it would have been around 2010. Back then, I used to be a bit socially awkward. Okay, really socially awkward. And I lived on campus for most of my college career. Because I've always been a bit of a loner and a bit awkward, I've never really been one to make a lot of friends. And until that point, I had only ever had one boyfriend in high school and we just kind of decided to go our separate ways after dating for half a year. And when I say dating, I mean basically just talking in the hallways a lot. So, yeah. You could say that I was a bit inexperienced when it came to boyfriends and relationships in general. Well, due to this lack of experience, I was a bit desperate and the minute a guy showed any interest in me, I kind of fell into it. In late 2009, around the end of August, when the fall semester started, I met a guy named Jack. And no, before anyone thinks it is, that's not his real name. Anyways, Jack was a bit of a quiet guy, and seemed like he didn't have many people that he could call friends. 
basically the exact kind of person I was. Because of this, and because of a lab that we had to do with a partner, I ended up sitting by and subsequently getting to know Jack. I think the instructor saw that we were both loners and wanted to try and play matchmaker, which I really wish that she hadn't. Jack and I became pretty good friends over the couple of months that we worked together in that class, and there was some obvious chemistry between us. Then, on my birthday in January, he took me out to dinner and told me that he really had a crush on me, and that he had been wanting to ask me out. Long story short, we started dating. Of course, and again, I was inexperienced in the world of dating, and it pretty much felt the same to me, except we talked on the phone more and about deeper things. The relationship was going pretty well, honestly. We had our class together, we worked on various projects together, we studied for our exams, and while we were dating, I honestly was looking at Jack as more of a best friend than a boyfriend. Now, Obviously, I know that it was likely that I didn't actually have feelings for him, but back then, I just kind of thought that this was what being in a relationship was for people in college. I mean, sure, others would go to parties, go drinking, clubbing, whatever, but that just wasn't who we were. We were the loner nerds, and I think I just enjoyed having a fellow loner to talk to and spend time with. He treated me fine for the most part, we rarely got into arguments, and I was happy. Obviously, this wouldn't be a story about a crazy ex if things didn't start to go sour. And they did start to sour. We got together in January of 2010, and I think this all started around Valentine's Day. In fact, it was Valentine's Day that started to set this whole thing into motion. Something to note about me, I am a bit of a prude. I do not like my body, I didn't like my body back then, and I've just never been into things that people think are sexy. This seemed like it wasn't that big of a deal to Jack, and... We had not really even discussed sex in any way. Then, come Valentine's Day, I remember that he and I went out on a date, and it ended with us sitting in his car in the dorm parking lot. We were talking about how much we enjoyed dinner, how our classes were going. I think I was telling him about issues that my parents were having back home, and he handed me a box. My initial thought was, oh, chocolates, you know, the stereotypical Valentine's gift. However, no, this was not chocolate. I opened it, and inside the box was a gently folded up nightgown that was mostly see-through, and was very clearly intended to be worn during, well, intimate moments. I recall that my face became beet red. 
I didn't expect this, and I didn't want it. And I really wasn't interested in what was being implied by him giving it to me. What's worse, despite my embarrassment and my clear look of mental anguish, Jack followed up with, I have a bit of extra cash this month. How about you and I go get a hotel room tonight and you can try that on? I think I honestly started to cry. Like, not tears of joy or sadness. Just literal eyes watering from some strong level of embarrassment and disdain. I folded it back up and placed it back in the box and then handed it to him. I told him that as much as I really liked him and as much as I appreciated the thought, I was not ready for this relationship to go to the next level. I remember apologizing over and over again and just telling him that I wasn't ready. After a few moments and a few heavy sighs, he turned to me and handed the box back. I was a bit upset, but he comforted me with, Look, I'm not trying to pressure you. I really do love you, and I want to be with you for the foreseeable future. So, what I want you to do, I want you to keep this. And then, when the day comes that you are ready, it'll be there. That way I don't have to go through the awkward process of returning it, and we can still call it a gift. Is that okay? And, of course, I accepted his proposal. I would keep it, and then it would be there when I was ready. I told him that I didn't know when that would be, and he seemed genuinely okay with it. Everything about his statements, his behavior, his attitude, all of it seemed genuine, and I believed him. This was, unfortunately where our relationship started to fall apart. We would spend time together, and he would be super clingy. And then, by the end of the night, he would seem like he was super distant. Like the night was great until it was over, and then he would be upset. Hindsight makes it super obvious why, but back then it was just odd behavior. Anytime we would watch a movie that involved anything sexual, he would always get, well, let's just say weird. Then, when nothing sexual happened between us, the next day, he would be super pissed. I would ask him what was wrong, and he would always go off on me over literally nothing. He once yelled at me that I was awake too late after we had spent time together, because I posted a meme on Facebook about an hour after he had left. He seriously exploded, because I shared a stupid meme after he had left, and he told me that if he wasn't there at night, he wanted me in bed and sleep. That was actually one of the worst fights, and where the already crumbling relationship seriously took a turn, after that night, when he would come over and we would be together, he would be super controlling, asking me where I was going every time I got up, 
asking who was texting me, asking what I had done that day and scrutinizing every single thing I said. Then, after he would leave, he would wait about 20 minutes and he would call me. I made the mistake of answering a couple of times. The times I answered, he actually yelled at me for answering, asking why the hell I was still awake. He would text me randomly throughout the day and ask me, more like a demand, that I take a picture of myself and whatever was in front of me. To put it simple, he became ridiculously controlling and he wanted to know every single detail about everything that I was doing. Again, this was my first relationship with an adult. The first time I had had a boyfriend that I actually spent time with, and I had no idea what the hell I was doing, or supposed to be doing. Then, I actually had an event that gave me a bit of clarity. I was talking to my mother one day, literally talking to her about her going through the divorce with my father, and then he texted me with his, Hey, I want a picture of you. I think my tone changed and my mom noticed, because she asked me what was wrong. I broke down. Within a few seconds, I went from trying to comfort her to bawling my eyes out and telling her all about Jack and how he was ruining everything. I seriously just let it all come out. She straight out told me to dump him. She told me that she was unhappy in her marriage with my dad, and that's why they were getting a divorce, and that she didn't want me to end up with someone I didn't love or end up unhappy like her. At that point, it just kind of clicked. I had to break up with him for my sake. And I didn't want to end up in a loveless relationship with the man that controlled my every move. That next day, when he came over, I told him that we needed to split up. He was, of course, furious. He started in with anger, then he started threatening to hurt himself, and then he started calling me every expletive that he could think of. Obviously this hurt, but... I let him finish it up, and then I explained to him that I needed some time alone because of my parents getting a divorce, and that the stress of my family breaking up was starting to get to me. Yes, this was a lie, but it was the best that I had. After I said that, he just kind of stood there. Then he said he was sorry and then left. It wasn't quite the amicable breakup that I was hoping for, but... It was a breakup, and that's all that mattered. I honestly thought it was over after that. Again, my naivety got the best of me. What I didn't expect was the barrage of calls and texts that followed. Jack would not leave me alone. It would be, hey, how are you, in the morning, and then, you're such a stupid... Well, I'm not going to finish what he said, but you can assume. This went on for a week, and then the you-don't-know-what-you're-missing-out-on texts started alongside the pictures of his uh, privates. 
This guy seriously went to full-on creepy in a matter of around eight days. It's pretty bad when even I could figure out that he wanted to be with me for literally just one thing. This went on for a couple of weeks, until the final night and the final event between us took place. It happened on the night of my mother's and brother's birthday. They share the same birthday, so we always make it a point to have a family dinner out wherever they choose. We were out enjoying ourselves and having a great time at dinner, when out of nowhere, Jack seriously walks into the restaurant. I saw him walk in, and I saw him tell the waiter that he was with our party. He walked right over to the table, and he put his hands on my shoulders and squeezed, and then started to say hi to my mother with the fakest voice I had ever heard. The tension at that table was immediate. My mom had never seen him, but it was obvious who he was. What's worse, he had the audacity to angrily ask who the hell the guy at the table with us was. I said it was my brother, and then said that he needed to leave. My brother asked me if he needed to take care of this guy. I told him no, and... Well... Honestly, it was a disaster that ended up with my brother and Jack getting into a short shoving match, and then the manager dragging Jack out of the restaurant in a half-assed chokehold. Thankfully, they let us stay when I explained that Jack was my ex, and that he had walked in to cause problems. They could see that I was being honest and told us that they would make sure he didn't try to come back. After we ate... And after the embarrassment had worn off, we walked outside to go our separate ways. We were standing by my mother's car and talking when, almost out of nowhere, a crappy black Corolla guns it through the lot straight at us. My brother noticed it and was able to yell and we all got out of the way. My mom's car wasn't so lucky. As you can probably assume, this Corolla belonged to Jack. He had just committed attempted murder with his vehicle. He then backed up and tried to go as hard as he could in the direction that I ran, smacking into another car, and then he pulled away and took off. If I may say, this all sucked. <laughs> My mom's car was seriously damaged. Another random person's car was hit, and the back end was smashed in. And all of this was because of this jackass that I had decided to date for a couple months. We called the cops, we talked to management so we could find the person that owned the car that got hit. This whole thing was a disaster. I explained to the police everything that I had gone through with this guy. I told them all the things he had sent me. And they said they would be on the lookout for him. But at this point, just had to consider this a hit and run. That night, my brother and I actually stayed at my mom's place. I was not going back somewhere where he could have access to me. About an hour or two after we had gotten back to my mom's place, Jack actually called me. 
I was enraged. So I answered him. I asked him what the hell was wrong with me, and probably had a few other choice words. That sick POS seriously responded with, I just want you to know that I have never been as aroused as I was when I tried to kill you. Seeing that terrified look on your face, it turned me on more than anything. And I can't wait to see the look on your face tomorrow in class. Then he hung up. Needless to say, I immediately called the police and informed them of what he had said. They updated the information and considered his in-class-tomorrow comment a clear and present threat of danger, which apparently accusing someone of attempted vehicular homicide isn't. The story pretty much ends here, with Jack being arrested, expelled, charged with several different things, and then thrown in prison for a few years. This was about 11 years ago, and I know for a fact that he is out now. But thankfully, he hasn't reached out to me or attempted to contact me in any way. I'm not gonna lie, he is the one person out there that actually scares the hell out of me. Mostly because he went from nice guy to attempted murder within a couple weeks because I wouldn't sleep with him. So, Jack, the worst boyfriend that I ever had, and the man that I wish I would have never met in college, let's never meet again. And also, screw you for wrecking my mom's car like that. She seriously loved her Yaris, and hasn't found one in that same color blue since. When my sister and I were younger, we were left at home by ourselves a lot. My parents split up, and my mom had custody of us. She worked a lot, so she would get us off to school in the morning, and then I had a key to the house to get in when we got home, because she would be working until 6 or 7. I was in 8th grade, and my sister, Taylor, was in 6th. 6th grade through 8th grade was middle school, so we went to the same school and rode the same bus. It was a normal routine. We'd get home, call mom on the phone to let her know we made it, finish our homework before she got home, and then have the rest of the time to do whatever. After homework, we would watch TV, play in our rooms, or sometimes call the neighbor kids over to hang out. The neighborhood was pretty great growing up. There were tons of kids around to play with, and older people that were always willing to pay you to rake their leaves or shovel snow. When we were younger, one of the ladies used to come over and watch us. I told my mom that I was old enough to handle myself and Taylor, so she slowly let me do so. She let me stay home if she had to take Taylor to an appointment, or let us both stay home if she had to run to the store. This school year, though, she started letting us go home alone, which had been great. 
She said as long as she never heard us complaining about the other when she got home, and that our homework was done, she would let us continue doing this. Taylor and I always made sure to work things out before she got home, so we didn't lose such privileges, you know, such as being home alone. One day after calling my mom, she told me that she was going to be running a little behind, but that she would call when she was on her way home. Seven o'clock rolled around, and she called saying it was going to be longer than she thought, so she was going to order pizza for us. After discussing our options and arguing over toppings, the order was placed. She told me when they arrived, get the food, and since it was already paid for and tipped, to close the door and lock it again. We were not to open the door for anyone but her unless she called to tell us someone is supposed to be coming over. So, we sat, watching television and waiting when the doorbell rang. I thought nothing more than it just must be the pizza guy because it was late, and Mom said no one else was supposed to be coming over. To my surprise, though, when I opened the door, it was three guys, all wearing bandanas over the bottom parts of their face and immediately rushing in and shutting the door behind them. I remember screaming and Taylor seeing everything and starting to cry. One of the guys tried to put his hand over my mouth, and the other one ran to Taylor, shushing her as she tried to climb to the back of the couch. She wouldn't go towards the guy, and I tried my best to keep the one by me off me when the third guy pulled out a gun. He said if we didn't keep quiet and do what he said, he would shoot us, and then wait for my mom to get home and shoot her too. Taylor started sobbing, and I tried to quiet her from the door. Once the gun guy was satisfied, he asked us where the basement was and made me lead them to it. Gun guy told the other two to take us downstairs and figure out how to secure us. We walked downstairs. Taylor was still crying as he led us over to a pole behind the stairs where water drained from. I think it came from the bathroom upstairs. The other guy went through a laundry basket that was nearby, as our washer and dryer are down there, and pulled out two shirts to use to tie us up. He tied us back to back to the pole, and knelt down in front of Taylor, and whispered something about staying quiet. He told her to count to 100 in her head, and they would be gone. Then... He looked over to me and asked if I knew if there was any jewelry or a safe in our house. I didn't know if my mom had a safe, but I did know she had a jewelry box, but I told him no. He stared at me for what felt like forever with a raised eyebrow, then stood up and motioned for the other guy. The guy that tied us up went back upstairs, and we heard a lot of stuff being moved and loud thumps. It seemed to go on for quite some time. I remember asking Taylor what number she was at, and she said she stopped counting. I can't blame her, though. However, as we sat there, waiting for this eternity to end, the doorbell rang. I assumed it was the pizza guy, but whomever it was, I was happy they were there. The guy downstairs looked like he had just seen a ghost and didn't know what to do. 
he asked me if we were expecting someone, and I told him, pizza. He took off up the stairs, shutting the door so that we were in the dark and quiet of the basement alone. I heard a lot of what sounded like running, but no talking. We sat there for several seconds as I started to work on untying myself. Taylor had started crying again, so I was trying to quiet her so I could focus on what was happening upstairs and untying. I finally got loose and untied her as well, but I told her to stay there so she looked like she was still bound. I walked up two or three stairs when I started hearing walking again and paused. Then, I heard someone shout, Hello? And I ran back over to Taylor and crouched. I heard the first steps get closer and the basement door open. Then I remember the next part because it was one of the best feelings ever. The voice said, Pizza's here. And I ran up the stairs to be greeted by a younger, tall, less intimidating guy in a pizza uniform. And I started crying. I yelled for Taylor to come up and I remember unloading on the poor pizza guy. He actually got us calmed down and said that he had called the cops when he saw the guys running from the house. We called our mom, but apparently she was already on her way home, or almost home. She had tried calling and got a busy signal as she tried to rush home, then knowing something was wrong. Once she got there, the pizza guy was talking to her about what happened with us right by her. Apparently... When they opened the door, they knocked him to the ground, while the one pointed a gun in his face and told him not to move until they left. He said he decided to come in to check if someone was hurt, since someone had to have ordered the food. After the cops looked around, they determined they had stolen our game console that was in my room, and a couple necklaces that my mom had hanging in the bathroom. Sadly, the pizza was a casualty too, but... We weren't very hungry that night. My mom did give the pizza guy a big hug and kiss on the cheek, and we hugged him too. It was a terrifying situation, but I was thankful he was brave enough to come in and check instead of just leaving. My mom doesn't like to leave us alone anymore, unless it's during the day, and the neighbors know too so they can check on us. I believe they did end up catching at least two of the guys, because I remember my mom taking us to identify their faces. I hope I never have to do that again, because that alone was overwhelming. This happened to me when I was still in high school. I lived in a fairly nice neighborhood, there were hardly any police around unless Mr. Jefferson on the corner called about a noise disturbance. There was a younger couple that lived across the street from him, and they always had parties for any event, and almost every weekend, and he hated it. Otherwise, the neighborhood was peaceful, and everyone got along. I was one of the younger boys in the neighborhood that would rake leaves, shovel snow, walk dogs, and I got paid for it too. 
I was 16 and made my own money to do what I wanted with it. I also had started house-sitting for a few of our close neighbors, too, and those were some of my favorite times. I would go over to their house, and if they had animals, I would feed them, let them out to play with them, and just chill. Most of them had snacks and drinks that they said I was welcome to as well. I had two older brothers, so I didn't normally get to watch what I wanted to on TV, so I would enjoy a soda and watch something for a few hours before I left for the day. One summer, our neighbors two houses down were going to be out of state for two weeks to see their daughter in college and asked if I could watch their house. They said they would pay me $100, so (laughs) I was in. I could ditch my friends a few hours early each day and make some easy money. They had some pretty simple requests. They had a dog, so I would feed and water, let her out back and clean up after her. They asked me to get their mail and to flush their toilet if I don't use it. Otherwise, it drained or something and it messed with the pipes. Then, of course, just clean up after myself if I made any messes. But, otherwise, I had free reign of their home. I had walked their dog, Penny, plenty of times in the past, so I knew her pretty well. She was part lab and very kind and playful. She had a dog bed in their back office, so when I would come in, I would holler for her and she would come running up to me. I'd let her out back and we would play fetch for a while before going back in. The first few nights went as normal. I remember I had gone back over to the neighbor's place for the second time, around 7 or 8 at night, as it was just starting to get dark. My brothers had a few friends over and they were starting to annoy me, so I used the neighbor's place as an excuse to go over there and just get away for a while. I came in, and Penny was already at the door, waiting for me. I thought she probably needed out, so I went to open the door, but she didn't move. She sat in the kitchen and just kind of stared at me. So I shut the door, gave her a treat, and went to the office to play a game on their computer to kill some time. Usually, Penny would come back to the room and sit on her bed, but... I noticed that she never followed me. I went to see where she was, when I noticed her on her back legs, trying to look out the window to the back door. I tried opening the door again to let her out, and she just stood there, with her tail down, looking out back and then at me. I was kind of annoyed, most likely due to my brothers, but this added to it. So, I shut the door again, and tried to push her away from the door. She again would not move. She actually fell over and just laid on the floor in front of the door. As I was becoming more irritated, I gave up and decided to take a shower to chill out some. While I was in there, I started hearing their home phone ring. Sometimes they would call if I was there to check in or leave a message on their machine for me in case they forgot to ask me to do something. Not thinking much of it, I just made a mental note to check the messages when I got out. And while I was drying off, 
it dawned on me that it only rang like three or four times. So, maybe it was the wrong number. Then I started hearing Penny barking. I got dressed and went out to see what she was barking at, and noticed that she was again staring out the window. I went to open the door again when the phone started ringing. I went and picked it up, and it was Marianne, the wife that lived there. She started asking me all these questions, like if I had a friend over there with me, and how long I had been there. I was trying to answer her all while trying to get Penny to stop barking, when Mary Ann noticed that as well, and asked what she was barking at. I tried explaining that she had just been staring and barking out the back window. I then heard her tell Martin in the background to call 911. That's when she told me that she had just called, and someone else answered the phone. She said it sounded like an older guy trying to sound younger, like me. She asked who he was and where I was, thinking I had brought a friend over, when the guy hung up on them. I certainly didn't bring anyone over with me, so she told me to take Penny out the front door and wait out front and stay on the phone with her. At this point, I was freaking out. I was alone, or so I thought, and someone else appeared to have come in while I was in the shower. I grabbed Penny's leash and finally got her to go out the front door with me while staying on the phone. It felt like hours standing there, looking around to make sure that no one was hiding. My dad and brothers all ran over thanks to Martin calling them shortly before the cops arrived. I explained what happened the best that I could, and then they walked around the house to see if they could find anyone. They saw footprints along the side of the house that went to the back door, they dusted for prints on the outside knob, but I don't know whatever came of that. They didn't normally lock their back door. They left it unlocked in case they were ever locked out, or if their older kids came over when they weren't home. However, they also didn't have a very secured fence to keep people out. You could just lift the metal latch to get in, meaning anybody had access to their yard. They didn't end up catching anyone that night, and I had to have my mom or dad go with me for the remainder of the time that they were away. I think they ended up coming back a few days early. They paid me $100 and also gave me a gift card for something. I don't remember since I had to go through that. Sometime that same year, there was actually another break-in, and the people that lived there came home while they were going through their stuff. They caught the guy, though, and it turned out that it was the same one that tried robbing the house that I had sat for. The scary part was, the guy had a knife on him. Who knows if he did when he broke into the house I was in, but it was pretty terrifying to think about. What would have happened if I was still in the office or if I had walked out of the bathroom to answer the phone. On a better note, though, they did put up a privacy fence after that and started locking the doors, so my parents and I were both more comfortable with me going over there alone for future trips. I also pay more attention to Penny when she's acting differently. 
I think she was trying to tell me there was someone out there that shouldn't be. So, always lock your doors and trust the dog's instincts. Right after graduating high school, I dipped from my mom's place. I couldn't stand the guy she dated or had around, and she didn't seem to care much how I felt, so I was done. I had saved up most of my money while I was working in school and got myself a cheap car, so I didn't have to rely on her. Then, the week after I graduated, I got as much of my stuff in my car that I could and left. I still talked to my mom, so I knew the rest of my stuff would be okay there, but I just needed out. For the first few years, I lived with friends or cousins and just kept most of my stuff in my car. A few months before my 20th birthday, I had a friend offer to get an actual place together, so it would be in both of our names. I agreed, and soon after, we got a nice little duplex that was perfect for us. It was a two-bedroom with a full basement. We ended up turning the basement into a party and gaming room. He had an Xbox set up down there, his computer, and even a stereo system. We ended up finding a foosball table that we brought home and put down there and made some makeshift ping-pong tables. It was a nice little place to hang out, and I loved it. We got to know the neighbors. A few of them were younger couples around us with kids. There was a guy that lived with his on-and-off-again girlfriend across the street that had come over a few times that we had gotten to know. Then there was the guy in the duplex attached to us, it was just one guy, probably in his late 30s. He usually kept to himself, like he may nod or smile at us if we're outside, but that's it. However, he did have his share of guests. Most of them showed up with hats and sunglasses on, and never acknowledged anyone. They always immediately went inside, there were other times where it'd be really late at night, and we would see a car's headlights pull and sit there until our neighbor ran out to the car. And then they would exchange something, and then run back in. We could piece things together after a few of his visitors, but nothing ever happened over there, and he never bothered us. It just became more of a minding-our-own-business thing, and... We never thought much else about it. A little over a year later, we renewed our lease and were getting ready to have a party for my 21st birthday. I remember us going to get snacks and drinks. My friend was 22, so he bought the drinks, of course, and just having one hell of a party. We probably had a dozen people over, downstairs, out back in the living room. It was a great time. I know I drank a lot, but I was home, so once I was done, I passed out in my room. Later that night, 
I started to hear a lot of thumping that sounded like it was coming from next door. The wall my bed is against is the joined wall of our neighbors, so we can hear a lot when you're in the bedroom and sometimes the living room. I was pretty out of it, of course, but I remember waking up to use the restroom. When I came back, that's when I started to hear all the sounds. At first, it was just single thumps, like someone slamming a door or maybe even dropping something. I then started hearing grunts and muffled yelling. I didn't really think much of it, and couldn't really process between being tired and drunk, so I just passed back out. The next morning, though, I woke to more pounding, but this time it sounded like it was coming from our door. So I got up, groggy as hell, and made my way to the front door. I thought maybe it was one of our friends coming back to get something they left, but unfortunately, it wasn't. I opened to see two cops standing at my door. They introduced themselves and vaguely explained at first that there was an ongoing investigation, but they said they had some questions. I offered to let them in, but they stayed near the entryway. They asked me if I was home last night, and when I told them I was, as well as several others for a party, they asked if anyone else was in the house. I assumed my roommate was, and they told me to go get him and anyone else inside. I quickly went and knocked on my roommate's door to get him up, and asked if he knew if anyone else stayed over, and he mentioned someone being downstairs. I went down there and woke up our friend and her boyfriend and got them upstairs with us. The cops then had us all go outside and asked to search the place. With our guests back at their car, my roommate and I asked what was going on. They said they got a call for a welfare check on the man next to us, and they said that they found him dead. And they said it appeared he had been robbed, so they wanted to check with us to see if we heard or saw anything, and make sure that we could account for all of our guests. I certainly knew everyone that came over, and I didn't suspect any of them being the killer. The cop then said that they were more so concerned if anyone was here that showed up unexpectedly or was acting suspiciously. I again said I couldn't recall anyone like that, and we gave them permission to look over the place to make sure no one was hiding in there. That was terrifying enough, the thought that we could have been hiding a killer. I went ahead and let my friends that were there know that they could leave, with permission from the other cop. I didn't feel like telling them what had happened, and they seemed like they just didn't want to be around the police, and they left pretty quickly, too. As I walked back to the door, I noticed the window of our neighbor's place had been broken, and the screen door was nearly ripped off of its hinges. After their search, they told us it looked like someone had nearly pulled off the back door handle, so they dusted for prints. They said that they most likely saw all the people and took off instead of targeting us, especially if the suspect was alone. 
They had a few more questions for us before finally leaving us to comprehend what all had just happened. We were in a bit of shock, and it was quite sobering, unfortunately. I think it was the following day that we had the news van drive by taking pictures and recording, which was weird, until we saw it on the news that night. They were talking about our neighbor. They said that he'd been strangled and found by the police after his sister tried calling multiple times and not getting an answer. My friend thinks that since he was a seller, or possibly a user, that he was targeted, and probably robbed for whatever he may have had. The fact that they tried us did worry me a bit. It was their plan to make sure we didn't talk or see anything? Was it just a robbery gone bad? Did he think he'd hang out at our party and blend in? It was a bit worrisome at night, sometimes wondering if they would come back until the news reported that they had arrested someone in relation to this case, which definitely made me feel better. I think the place sat empty for several months before we got a new neighbor. It was an older couple, which put a bit of a damper on our parties, but at least we knew they probably wouldn't have any shady guests around. This happened to me and my wife when we were in our 30s. We live in a fairly popular city, surrounded by houses on all sides, and a couple blocks east was the shopping side, with grocery stores, restaurants, and even a farmer's market popping up out there on the weekends. We liked going to the market, because my wife was due soon, and... It gave us a place to walk that was outside and close to home. Not to mention she ate so many tomatoes while pregnant, and she claimed they had the best ones. The neighborhood itself has always been nice. No real issues with anyone. I think the cops were called once because there were kids playing in the park nearby, they were screaming a lot, and people thought something was wrong, and called them. Turned out, it was just the kids playing around, but I think it gave them a nice scare to not scream so much. So, maybe some loud kids, but that was about it. One night in particular, the wife wasn't feeling well, so she went to bed early. I wasn't tired, so I stayed up for a bit longer to finish the show that I was watching. Just to get a better idea of the layout of our place, when you walk in the front door, you enter the living room. This is where I was watching TV. To the right is a hall with our bedroom, a bathroom, and our nursery. Going straight from the front door, you'll go to the kitchen, and the wall to the left had a door to the garage. The back wall of the kitchen has an entryway to our little green room, I suppose you could call it, It had tall windows on all three walls, and a sliding door on one that led to our backyard. We had some long curtains hanging on all the windows, because it can get pretty hot back there. 
and we use that as an office and, now, extra storage. The yard wasn't fenced in, which was fine because the two houses next to us were owned by an older couple with no kids or pets, and the other was owned by an older guy that appeared to have his daughter and granddaughter visiting, so there was no trouble with them. So on this night, while I was watching TV, I thought I saw a light go by the window, like a flashlight or a reflector on a bike or something. I didn't really think much of it at first because it also faced the road, so I thought it was probably just a bike passing. After a few minutes, I saw what looked like someone walking by my window, so I got up to look and saw nothing. No cars, no one outside at our neighbors, so I made sure the door was locked and went back to watching my show. At this point, it had probably been 20 to 30 minutes because the episode had finished. So, before playing the next one, I went to the kitchen to refill my cup. Of course, we have to have sweets in the house. So, as my eyes met the chocolate chunk cookies, I went to open them when I heard a thumping sound coming from the green room. I just paused at first, making sure that what I heard was real, when I heard what sounded like the door sliding closed. So, I grabbed a steak knife, it was the closest thing to me, and slowly walked to the back. As I got back there, I noticed that the door was, in fact, slightly open still. We don't always lock the back slider, because there's no reason for anyone to be back there besides us. So, now I'm looking around to see if someone is in here, or did they leave already? Mind you, the lights are still off, so there's a light coming in from the neighbor's patio, but that's about it. I'm walking as close to the back wall as I could while looking around the room, when I noticed someone very poorly hidden in our curtains. As I mentioned, they are pretty thick, which makes them stick out some, but they don't go all the way to the floor. So if you're trying to hide behind them, you'd better hope you can levitate, or else your sneakers are going to show off. So with that... I mustered all the bravery in me, and as deep and threatening as I could, I said, You've got ten seconds to run out the door you came in, and if you make it, I won't call the cops. I don't even think I got it all out before the guy darted out from behind the curtain and took off out the door. I'd be lying if I said I was totally calm and prepared if he ran towards me instead I did take notice of what he looked like, though. It was dark, but the light by the door coming in was enough for me to tell that he had long, dark hair, pulled back in a hair tie. He was wearing a dark hoodie with some kind of logo on the left arm that looked like a circle. He also wasn't wearing anything to cover his face, so I could tell he had a short beard. After a few seconds, I ran to the door locked it, 
and looked around to see if he was anywhere nearby, but he must have taken off, because he was nowhere to be seen. I did a quick look over of the room to see if he did take anything, but nothing looked like it had been touched, except the pen holder that was on the floor. I assume that was probably the thump that I heard. I don't think he had time to even consider taking anything yet. I closed all the curtains in there and the living room, checked any windows to make sure they were closed and locked, and then went to check on my wife, who, based on her snoring, had been out the whole time. I ended up going back to the living room because I was too freaked out and wired at this point to sleep, but ended up passing out a few hours later. I never told my wife, because I didn't want her to worry about it unless something came up again. I didn't want to add any stress to her. I told her I must have passed out watching TV, though, and she believed me. From then... I was more cautious of making sure that all the doors and windows are locked at night, or whenever we left. The following week, we went to the market one last time before she was going to be going to the hospital. While she was looking at the tomatoes, and talking to the couple that sells them, I kept moving down to look at everything else. I came across a small table with lemonade set up, and a little girl sitting at it. On the other side of the lemonade container was a crate of strawberries for sale. The girl looked really excited that I had stopped and offered some lemonade for a price, of course. I think it was something like a quarter. I agreed, and the girl turned and yelled, Daddy, to the man who was doing something behind her. He stood up and started approaching the table when my stomach dropped. This guy had long, dark hair, it was pulled back, and he was wearing a hoodie with the same logo I noticed in my house a week ago. It was for a local community college by us. He had shaved recently, though. The girl told her father that I wanted a lemonade, so he helped her begin pouring it. I asked how long they had been set up out here, and... I think that's when he recognized me, too. The guy's voice began to crack, and he was shaking. He said he was trying to make money since his wife was pregnant with their second child, and the people agreed to let him set up here. He had strawberries he was selling, and he had bought some lemons to make lemonade with them to entice people to buy them. He said they were down on their luck, with her not working and him losing his job recently. He also said it felt like he was given a second chance to do the right thing. My wife walked up about this time, and I mentioned that we were about to have our first one too, and he congratulated me. I ended up buying a pound of strawberries and gave the kid a five for the lemonade, and her eyes lit up. The guy actually shook my hand and thanked me, and then we left. So that's the story of how I paid a guy that broke into my own home. I do hope that what he said was true, though, and that I was the first and last place that he broke into.
I live in a cozy little home with my son and husband. Since our home is on the smaller side, we usually go to other people's homes for holidays or parties. One past year, we wanted to do something for just our family, so we decided we would go camping for the 4th of July weekend. Our county also doesn't allow fireworks, so we thought we would find a place in the next state over and have a different view, see a fireworks show, and maybe light off a few of our own. Our son had never been camping before either, so it would be an exciting first time, and he was really looking forward to it. We went and bought a tent, sleeping bags, and other camping essentials to start preparing. We started going over safety tips as well, such as making sure we had plenty of first aid stuff, bug spray, sunscreen, and aloe. Some things, though, are a little harder to prepare for. The time came to head out to the campgrounds. The 4th was on a Friday, so we decided to go on Thursday. That way we could get there look around the area to decide what we wanted to do, and then after we enjoy the 4th, we could spend time doing what we wanted for the rest of the weekend. When we got there, we found our lot that was right by four other tents. One was a middle-aged couple that was there with their dog. Two tents were for a family of five, the parents, two kids around nine or ten, and a toddler, and the last one reminded me of ourselves, a couple with just a little boy. As we started setting up, all the kids around were ready to play, going over to each person's tent and asking the kids' age and names, and if they wanted to go play by the water. He was my firstborn, so I was quite protective of him, and didn't want him playing by the lake without us so I agreed to let him play on the small playground equipment that was next to our area. I could see him from there, so I was okay with it. The four kids were playing and talking about whatever kids talk about, and the parents of the single boy, I'll call him Kyle, came over and introduced themselves. They said this was their second attempt at camping, they tried last summer and were forced to evacuate after someone caught part of the campgrounds on fire. And they said it was most likely caused by a fire pit that wasn't allowed, and that got out of control. And they said it was fairly close to them, because they could see the flames and had to pack up in a rush, which scared Kyle. From what they explained... The poor kid was pretty scared for a while to do anything close to fires or camping related. They mentioned how they eased him into it, though, by camping in their backyard, which made me think we should have tried that first to see how our kid would react. Overall, though, they wanted to say thanks and for letting Kyle play with our son, Nathan, and compliment how well-mannered he was and being willing to pull Kyle in with the other kids. It was a very proud parent moment for myself. That night, and the 4th itself, were both great. Since everyone was so kind and welcoming, we had a cookout together and put all of our food into it. The kids were having a blast, 
We gave some of our little firework stuff, like smoke bombs, to the larger family, since they didn't have any, which kept them occupied. I will say those older two were a little more on the daredevil side. They were trying to throw smoke bombs into the air and catch them, hold them in their mouths, tried throwing rocks from the gravel road at birds, just things like that. Thankfully, Kyle and Nathan stepped away from those activities. On Saturday, we decided to have a little more time relaxing. After sleeping in a bit and having breakfast, we decided to go for a little walk through the trees. My father-in-law always took my husband fishing and hunting, and was always big on the outdoors, so he knew his trees and wildlife and loved teaching Nathan just the same. To our surprise... Kyle was just as interested and asked if he could join us. I don't think I would have been too comfortable with it, but then his parents asked if they could join too. They said they would show us where the fire was, and then we could go to a more secluded part of the lake where there were less people. We're not familiar with this campsite, so we agreed and thought at least we would have some more peaceful time away from the other rowdy kids. So... We put our swimsuits on under our clothes, grabbed the things we wanted to take, and headed off. The fire occurred on the other side of the grounds. There were several trees that were still standing, but obviously dead from the fire. There was a patch of what appeared to be dead grass where they attempted to regrow it, but it wasn't doing very good. They had posted a sign as a reminder that fires were not allowed outside of their permitted pits, or grills, too. The area was empty of people as well. It appeared to be open, but no one was staying there. It definitely didn't look pretty, so I'm sure that was why. From there, we decided to go swimming since it was empty. We hung out in the water, we all talked, and... The boys were having a lot of fun by themselves. I think they wanted that more, to be able to do something a little more innocent on their own. I felt comfortable enough that they wouldn't get into trouble, and with no one else around, I could loosen up more. At one point, the boys started gathering fallen branches, mud, and rocks to make a cave for a rabbit they saw, I wasn't going to be the one to tell them they lived in holes because they were having fun, so I let them go. They started talking about being short on supplies, and my husband had mentioned one of the trees that were burnt that would have softer and easier branches to break. So, off they went to start collecting. They did this once and came back pretty quickly. But the second time they left to gather more... I didn't see them come back for a few minutes, so I hollered over for them. When they didn't respond or come back, I got a little suspicious, and decided to head over to see what was going on. As I walked over the small hill, I noticed them quickly shuffling around dirt like they were trying to find something, or bury something. I asked them what they were up to, thinking they were just playing some game, but... They were both acting standoffish and quiet. I asked if there was something wrong, and Kyle responded no and that he wasn't feeling good anymore. 
I started to approach them to figure out the change in tones when Nathan said they found something bad. Thinking they were playing with something they found, like a lighter, I approached them, smiling, saying it would be alright, whatever it was, whenever Kyle started crying. Nathan pointed to a pile and started talking fast about how they were just trying to get dirt. I was trying to calm down the two young boys, while also looking over to see what they found, when my stomach dropped. There were bones in the dirt. It was a hand, with part of an arm sticking out from the ground. I just stared at it for a minute, not knowing how to react. I finally grabbed both the boys by the arms and started rushing them away, while shouting for my husband. They all started running over towards me. I guess my tone sounded alarming, too. I explained to them what I saw, and the guys went to go take a look. My husband agreed to stay nearby just in case, and the rest of us hurried over to a campsite nearby to ask someone to call a park ranger. From there, it became a blur. The rangers came out and looked... They had to call the police and tape everything off. We were all obviously on edge. After being interviewed by the police and the poor boys being questioned, we were finally cleared to go back to our campsite. At this point, we were ready to go. This definitely wasn't going away, so we decided to just leave. We spoke to law enforcement, gave them our contact info, as well as Kyle's family, because they still seemed like a great little family, and left. Later on, Keith and Marissa, Kyle's parents, contacted us, and they told us that the body had been identified as a little girl that had gone missing about a year back. It was then assumed that the fire was likely used to cover up the murder, though the body wasn't found at that time. It was hard to have that conversation with Nathan, to explain that there are some evil people out there, and that's why we are so picky about who he's with, where he goes, and that we want to make sure we know where he is. He was too young to have to witness something like that. It was a terrifying thing to see myself, and I don't even know if they ever found the person who did this, but I hope that no one that I know ever has to witness or go through something like that. Every year, my family would have a big 4th of July party. My grandparents would come over, aunts, uncles, cousins, and even some close friends and neighbors. All the kids would line up their fireworks, and we would decide in what order we wanted to shoot everything. The adults always prepared the food, and would sit around and talk. It was always a blast. We rarely had issues, as in fights, injuries, and the such, and I think a lot of that had to do with my grandfather. If anyone tried to start an argument, he always knew what to say to get people to calm down and ease the tension. He was a smart man, and I definitely learned a lot from him over the years. As I got older and started going to parties, or hosting my own... I always held on to some of his wisdom and advice 
to make me a better person. One of the things he taught me was to be aware of your surroundings. He was in the Air Force, and he always talked about how important it is to know what's happening around you, and while you shouldn't dwell on the negative, you should also be able to get an idea as to possible outcomes around you, and know how to react to them appropriately. This has helped me tremendously in my career of becoming an aircraft mechanic, as you have to be precise in everything you do. Another thing he taught me was, no matter where you live or your age, it's always polite to get to know your neighbors. Again, you never know if you could be the person they need in their life to be a friend or someone they can turn to when they feel they may be in trouble or need help. So, when my parents moved and I was still young, we made little baskets for everyone on our block as a way of introducing ourselves. These were two things he taught me that are important to this story today. I was thankful that my wife was able to meet my grandfather before his passing, so she knew all about him and his wisdom. So, when we got our first place together... She knew that we would have to introduce ourselves to the block. We moved in early June and decided we wanted to have a housewarming party and 4th of July party all in one. Because of this, we agreed that we would let the neighborhood know, as well as a warning in case we got too loud or if they wanted to join and get to know each other better. We prepared our gifts that week, and over that weekend... We went off to start handing them out. Everything went as I would expect. Some people were happy to meet us, some were surprised people still introduced themselves, and some even wanted to show my wife her jewelry collection. There were two houses, though, that we did not get an answer at, so we left our gift with a card at the door so they still get the introduction and invite. One of our neighbors, Kathy, seemed to be the cliché neighbor that knows everything about everyone, so we got the short version of everyone's history from her. I appreciated this, since I wasn't able to meet everyone, and I had mentioned this to her. She explained that one house was someone's winter house, and that they wouldn't be back for a few months, and the other one, she said to give up on trying to meet them. Curious, I asked her about this. She said it was a middle-aged couple living there. They rarely went outside. She thinks the guy worked overnights, as she always saw him coming home late at night and not leaving until the evening. While the woman always left midday, looking her best, and coming home before he left for the night. She tried talking to them on a few occasions, and the guy tended to ignore her, while the woman seemed to rush the conversation, and did not want to get too close. She said she gave up on trying to get to know them, but she'd had her door camera, so she always saw them coming and going since they lived across from her. I kept this in the back of my mind to process it later. We said our goodbyes finished by going back to the winter house to pick up the gift we had left, and agreed to try again in the winter, being assured by Kathy that she would let us know when they got back. 
and the following morning, as we left to get coffee, I noticed the gift from the mysterious couple's home was gone, so hopefully they got it, and at least enjoyed it. The next couple of weeks went by as normal. We unpacked and prepared ourselves for the party. This whole time, we never saw the couple. Kathy was certainly right. It was going to make for a difficult time if we ever wanted to try meeting them. Then came the night of the party. Both of our parents showed up, a few of our siblings, because some couldn't make it, as well as some old friends and new neighbors. Kathy came over and brought us a cake, I believe, but said since her dog was afraid of fireworks, that she would watch hours from her home so he wasn't alone. A few people had kids with them, so we kept it appropriate for the time being. After the kids finished off their fireworks and those families left as well as our parents, we started getting a little more rowdy. There was more drinking, a little more stupidity with fireworks, but everyone was having a good time. At one point, I was fetching more rounds for everyone, asking who all wanted one, when I noticed a guy that was talking to my wife's friend over towards the side of the patio that I didn't recognize at first. He was wearing dark jeans that appeared to be really muddy, a button-down shirt that was halfway open, and a baseball cap. Thinking it was someone her friend brought along, I asked if they wanted anything and made my way to the kitchen to grab the drinks. I gave her friend and the guy the drinks, they both said thanks, and I carried on passing out the rest. As the night went on, I saw the same guy talking to the other people, including my wife. He was still carrying around the same bottle that I got him, and when I asked if he wanted another, or if I could take it from him, he always refused, saying that he was still drinking it. I kept an eye on him just because I didn't recognize him, and no one had introduced him to me yet. We still enjoyed our night, taking pictures and recording our stupid antics, until it was time for people to start dispersing. When my wife was seeing her friend off, I noticed the guy wasn't with her, so I went and asked her about him. She said that she had come alone, but the guy was talking to her for quite a bit. She said she didn't recognize him either, and thought it was one of my friends from work since I was talking to him quite a bit. I let it go, thinking maybe he was someone from work that I just didn't know too well, or maybe he came with someone else and I didn't notice. I did drink a lot that night, so I was also not fully there, I'm sure. We cleaned up a bit and headed to bed. Thankfully, we were off the next day so we could recover, but we're still never able to determine who our mystery guest was. As I was coming home from work sometime that same week, I saw several cop cars at the non-social neighbor's house. Like anyone would, I tried looking to see if I could tell what was going on, but I couldn't see much more than crime scene tape going across the house. I got home to be greeted by my wife and Kathy in the living room. They told me that they didn't know what was going on yet either, 
but Kathy was already visiting when the police started showing up. Shortly after I got home, Kathy mentioned going back home so she could try to find out more, and we actually had someone else knocking on our door. It was another officer, wanting to ask us questions about our neighbor and if we had seen him. I explained that I didn't even know what they looked like, but Kathy began describing them more and said that she hadn't seen them in a few days. The officer pulled out a picture to show us and asked if we had seen him when my wife and I realized he was the guy that was at our party. Kathy and the officer both looked shocked. The officer began asking us what he was wearing, how long he was there, wanted to know when he got there and when he left. If he said anything to us, or if he was acting suspicious at all. We tried to answer the best we could about his whereabouts, and explained he was technically invited, but since we never actually met them, we didn't know if they would show up or not. Kathy finally started asking the questions that we were all wondering, to find out what was going on when the officer tried being vague, but still informed us. He said that they were called there on a welfare check by someone, and upon arrival, they had reason to enter the property, where they found a female's body in the tub, and the man that lived there was nowhere to be found. And Kathy's description confirmed it was the woman that lived there, and we were all in shock. They said they were looking for him for questioning, and asked us to call if we saw him, but to avoid letting him know as he might be dangerous. So, we were obviously a bit on edge at this point, not knowing what to do. We offered to let Kathy and her dogs stay in our spare room so she wasn't alone, but she was insistent that she would be okay by herself. We walked her back home, and when we returned, we made sure that all the windows and doors were locked just to make sure that there was no chance of somebody getting in. Thankfully, we also had security cameras that we could watch as well. That day came and went without them finding the guy. News vans started showing up, and we were seeing it on TV by this point. That's when it started getting worse. They said that he was wanted for the murder of his girlfriend who most likely died on the 4th. That is when I started thinking, this guy was definitely at my place on the 4th of July. He wasn't talking about himself much, but he made sure to talk to a few people to make it obvious that he was there. I began feeling like we were being used as an alibi. I felt sick. This girl was either dead or dying in a house a few down from ours while we were there covering for him, a murderer. Our families were there. It was a terrifying thought. While it was a bittersweet result, as a woman did lose her life, they did finally catch the guy. He was trying to flee the country, but only got as far as Texas when they finally caught him. Now, this was coming from Kathy, she said her husband was a cop, so she knew some of the detectives. They told her that the woman's sister hadn't heard from her, and the guy had a record, and she was worried something had happened. 
She was most likely killed the night of the 4th, so that confirmed my suspicions. We were definitely being used. I'm glad they caught the guy, but since the incident, I monitor things a hell of a lot better, at least as to who comes over to my place or who I'm around in general. My grandfather was definitely right. You really can't be too careful. So, when I was eight, I had an encounter with a black-eyed kid. At the time, me and my family lived in Campo Grande, MS, Brazil. We lived in a deserted place with no neighbors, only a few trees around. The house was fully surrounded by walls, no way to enter it without being let in. And besides that, we had cameras and a dog, so... There's literally no way to not know someone was in the house. At night, I was watching TV in my parents' bedroom because I couldn't sleep. My sister and brother were in their respective rooms. I get thirsty, so I left my parents' bed and went to the kitchen. No lights on because I had no fear until then. So in the way to the kitchen, there's a corridor that leads to all of the bedrooms. The TV room and then the kitchen. When I was going through the TV room, I hear a knocking on glass. So I turn to my right, and I see in the reflection of our glass cabinet, a girl with pitch black eyes, a white dress, and two ponytails behind me in the TV room. I instantly run back to my parents' bedroom and told my parents. They rushed to see if they could find someone, but they couldn't. Me and my parents couldn't sleep through the night, and my brother and sister that were already sleeping had nightmares. Since my parents are really Catholic, the next day they called a priest to bless the house. I never saw the girl again, but I never left my bedroom at night, too. At the time, I didn't know about the black-eyed kid's legend. I learned about it years later when I told one of my friends what I saw, because we were talking about strange experiences, and he told me about the black-eyed kids. The strange part is, that spirit was never let in. How was she inside? There's no way someone normal could even sneak in past the walls and even the house. We don't live in the same house anymore, and not even in the same state, but the glass cabinet is still with us. Hello. This is my weirdest story of my whole life. I haven't told anyone about it except a friend who laughs at me. This is all real, and I am not lying. My brother works for my parents. He went home with his truck at noon to eat with us. He's ten years older than me, and we weren't on good terms when this story happened. And I was nineteen years old when that happened. So, it was June, and my parents weren't here for the whole day. I was supposed to cook pasta for my brother and his girlfriend when they would be home. 
you need to understand that the truck makes a lot of noise and that my dogs are super sensitive to the sound of a car in our alley. We have a portal, so only us can go here. It was 11am and my dogs began to bark. I hear the sound of the trucks, and I swear that I have to have seen this black truck parking in the alley. So, I let the dogs go outside, and they go near my brother, playing with him. The dog hates being outside alone. Like, they'll bark and scream like babies in front of the door, if there isn't anyone with them. But, on this day, the dogs stayed quiet. They were with my brother, after all, so nothing abnormal. I keep watching the TV, thinking that my brother could cook for himself since he was home early. I know he needed to take his girlfriend from her school, but it was only around noon, and it was like 11.20, so there was plenty of time. I kept watching TV until I hear the truck again, and the door opens. It was my brother with his girlfriend. He was super mad at me, because the cooking wasn't ready. I told him he could have done it because he was home so early instead of doing nothing. He looked at me like I was crazy, and he told me that he hasn't been home at all. He just arrived. He'd had a busy morning and was almost late to be at school for his girlfriend on time. After that... We had one of our worst arguments of all time. I still don't know what happened. I saw his trucks. The dog saw it too. The dog wouldn't have stayed with anyone else outside that long anyways. And really, he has no interest in lying about this at all. This story takes place at a church camp, which is sort of like a Christian summer camp, when I was eight years old. It started at night when I was trying to sleep. It was hot, and I felt like something heavy was sitting on my chest. Not like a weight, but like a hand. I could feel each individual finger pressing down almost like it was trying to pierce my chest with its fingertips. When I opened my eyes, I was so scared that I almost burst into tears right then and there. But I felt like if I did, something even worse would happen. Not just to me, but to the other kids in the room with me as well. Instead... I just laid there in my bunk trying to keep it from knowing that I was awake. After a few hours, it stopped and left. What I saw when I opened my eyes was a tall, skinny figure with long arms. It had black eyes with red pupils that almost glowed in the dark. It had large hands with slender fingers and a mouth so wide that if it opened its mouth, it would look like a hole. When I woke up in the morning, I felt a burning sensation on my chest. When I looked, I saw red marks where the thing had touched me. Things were pretty much normal until the middle of the day, when everyone would go to the main building where we would all attend church and pray. While we were in the middle of the prayer... I opened my eyes to look up at the front of the room, and I saw the figure standing in front of me, and when I saw it, 
it put one hand over my mouth and then pushed the other hand into my chest. It didn't tear a hole into my chest. Instead, it just went inside like it wasn't there, but I could still feel it inside my chest. Its hand wrapped around my heart. Not squeezing feeling, but a burning feeling. Almost like a red-hot fire poker touching bare skin. I was crying the whole time, trying to pull its hand out of my chest, but I wasn't strong enough, and it only stopped after the prayer was over. It just disappeared and was gone, but I could still feel the burning sensation in my chest after we were done with church for the day. It continued like normal, like the thing was done doing what it needed to. After this incident, I never went back to church camp again, and I also stopped going to church because I never wanted to see that thing ever again, and to this day, I'm happy to say that I haven't seen it since. As an eight-year-old child... I lived near the coast in northern Tasmania. One day, I was walking down along the shore with my aunt, and I noticed something largish that had washed up on the beach, so I ran ahead to have a look. It was obviously deceased, but a decomposition had barely started. It was not bloated at all, but what it was left me and my aunt confused. It was the size of a small German Shepherd dog, but it had the head like a brown seal and the front flippers of a seal, but its back legs were like a dog. It also had the color of a brown seal, and if it wasn't for the rear end of the creature, I would have just thought it was a dead seal. It had two separate legs and paws. It was clearly one animal, not two that somehow either joined together by a taxidermist or someone practicing. We ended up leaving it alone and we never reported it to anyone, but now I'm an adult in my 40s and I uh, still have no answer to what it was that I saw that day. Any ideas of what this creature could have been? I've heard rumors of a similar type of creature from remote southern Tasmania, but this one was much larger and slightly different. The creature from southern Tasmania had the front legs of an elephant. Its mouth was open and was as large as a doorway. A person could easily walk inside. It had been shot at with what looked like a shotgun, so the locals assumed that a fishing boat had noticed it, and the crew were spooked and shot it. The rear end was similar to a whale with flippers, it appeared in a town called Dover. The local adults ran to the beach to see what was going on, and they sort of shepherded it back into the water, and it left. It made no aggressive movements toward them. The locals were just scared as they had no idea what it was. I've often considered that perhaps it came on land to heal or to die, but this one I did not see myself. I was told about that one from my stepfather, who, at the time, was reluctant to tell me. He's a very down-to-earth person, and would not have invented a fantastical tale such as that. 
I could tell by his reluctance to tell me that it was an honest story, and that he was concerned about ridicule for repeating what he had seen. I'm just confounded by what seems to be cross-breeding land animals and aquatic animals, or perhaps not cross-breeding, but what appears to be a mixture of both. Any suggestions about either? It would be great. Back in 2009-ish, while I was in the military, my homie was back home in Ohio, and one day he was telling me this story, where the past few nights, he sees me walking down the street. Day one, he attempts to holler at me through the window. Apparently, I ignore him and disappear into the shadows. Day two, same thing, he sees me. This time, he tosses something at me, hits me, and then sees me stop, bend down, grab what he threw, and again disappears into the shadow. Day three, in the morning, what he threw at me is back in his room. It was a plushy bone. He initially thinks nothing of it, until he realizes that's what he threw. So, he starts to freak out a little. Now is where it gets a little more odd. Day three, in the evening, he hears a voice down in his living room. He assumes it's his mom watching TV, up until the point that he sees his mom in her bedroom fast asleep. So, he goes downstairs, and halfway down, the talking stops, and there's a knock at the door. He's frightened, and runs up to his room and cowers like a little child, I'm assuming. He continues his story with the dream he had of me meat-grinding his cats into little patties and offering him a burger made of his cats. Day four, he gets a voicemail. It's not from my number, but of my voice saying, What? You didn't want the bone back? Why didn't you eat the burger I gave you? He immediately calls me and tells me to stop playing with him, that this isn't funny. I assure him that I'm still down in Virginia. I suggest he calls my mom just to be sure. Later that night, I'm apparently in his room, just looming over his bed watching him, and I give a very impish smirk, and then my jaw detaches and I lunge at him. He tells me that he ran into his mother's bed with her and told her all of this. Now, they were a bit more religious at the time, so they called their pastor to bless the house and ask what it could be. He says it could be his, my, doppelganger, or a negative entity taking the shape of someone he trusts. Fast forward to today, literally, we're hanging out and this story comes up, and he adds that after the blessing of the house, an occurrence happened, but only once after, and it was his cat's dead body lying on his front door. Apparently it looked misshapen and distorted, as if manipulated by man. After hearing the story initially, and again, today my skin still crawls at the thought that there may be another me out there that's a sick freak. 
I live a few minutes outside of the city limits, so I'm out in the country with a few neighbors that aren't all that close. My family and I keep to ourselves, so there's no possible way for anyone to be walking around the surrounding fields. And this happened a few weeks ago. The sun was beginning to set when I let my dog outside for the night. I stood out on the front porch watching her when I saw this coyote laying low in the field, most likely waiting for the opportune moment to attack my unsuspecting dog. I whistled for her to come back to the porch. She's very obedient for her age, but I was relieved that she had done her business so quickly. We went back inside the house, I gave her a treat, and she laid beside me in her bed until about 10 o'clock that night. The house was pretty quiet while I was watching TV. That was until I heard the coyotes starting their yelping. They sound like women screaming, and it's scary as hell when you're not expecting it. I shrugged it off after realizing what was happening outside, and resumed watching my show. I had fallen asleep at some point, and was woken up to something loudly banging on the screen door to my porch. I checked the clock by the door, and it read 11.30. I got up from my couch, stretched, and went to the front door where I peeked through the blinds, just to see a dark figure running its finger-like things down the glass. I was completely weirded out about whatever the hell that thing was, so I switched on the porch light to watch something resembling a coyote running down the stairs of my porch. I shut the light back out, sat down on my couch again, and waited for any other sounds. But I was not expecting to hear a loud, demonic-sounding yelp like a coyote. I hesitated for at least a good half hour before working up the nerve to grab a flashlight as well as my small gun that I keep in case the coyotes do come for my dog one day, and proceeded to unlock the front door. I slowly stepped out onto the dark front porch, locked the screen door, and eyed every inch of the surrounding fields when something tall stood up in the middle of the field to the right of my house. I remember feeling my eyes widen at the shape of the thing. It looked like a coyote, but... It wasn't. It was taller, huskier, and a hell of a lot scarier sounding. There was no regular coyote in sight. I shined my flashlight over every possible inch of those fields, and I couldn't find any form of life aside from whatever the hell that thing was. I said it's been a few weeks, yet I still sometimes hear that demonic yelping at night. And now I hear clawing at the windows in whichever room I'm in, whether the windows have blinds and curtains or not. I'm not sure what the hell that thing is, but... And I hate to say this, I believe... No, I know. This was my first encounter with a cryptid. And hopefully it'll be my last... This one's a tricky one to explain. Last night, I saw two red circles at our window, but they were kind of hazy, like a cloud of moving mist, 
and kept swaying side to side almost. It went away, and I wasn't afraid of it or anything before I tried to fall asleep. I just dismissed it as seeing a trick of the mind, you know? I've been seeing tons of paranormal activity lately, but I've also been trying my best to be skeptical of everything. I heard screaming while awake last night also, though, but no one else could hear it when I tried to confirm as my fiancé was awake at the time and roomies were asleep. It was very clearly a man's voice in extreme distress, but sort of far away. I think I was trying to put it off as just being the TV at first for the neighbors or something, but I clearly remember not hearing a TV on, if I think about it, because our neighbors are usually pretty loud with their systems, and the walls are thin for the apartments. I've gotten super great astral travel lately, so I think it's getting easier to see things in that spirit realm, if you will, even while I'm awake. Not only did I see that red mist before, but I saw my fiancé standing in front of the door screaming without moving his mouth, not too long after I had heard the distressed man's voice. I knew my fiancé was right next to me on the bed and wasn't moving, though, so it was really off-putting to see him standing screaming there when... He really wasn't. I remember reaching out to my fiancé and suddenly we both started screaming in that strange internal way. I felt that sleep paralysis as if it were my own and we both were able to get up and out of it, thankfully. What solidified this experience for me was when he woke up and thanked me for getting him up after I asked him what happened. I did not see the red mist anymore outside our window, but my fiancé said they saw the downstairs neighbor screaming and red circles outside the window, and that's when they also started screaming. I also realized the events took place around 3am, but took place over the course of 20 minutes. I think I really did see a sleep paralysis demon. And I have a new theory that sleep paralysis demon attacks only happen in the astral state when we are afraid of something. I saw and heard all of this clear as day while awake, but I do have a little more to the experience for when I was drifting asleep or actually asleep. To be in compliance with the rules, I will only share what I witnessed while I was wide awake, unless specifically asked. I'm open for any questions, as I do love sharing the knowledge. I was in my 20s when I visited my aunts and uncles in China with my cousins. It was in the hundreds during that time, plus the humidity. It was just nasty, hot. We stood in the hotel on the first night when we were there. Since my cousins and I love sleeping in the cold, 
we turned the AC to 62 degrees. The best feeling is sleeping in the cold with blankets. So, that was what happened. I had two layers of blankets on me. The color of the blankets was that typical hotel dark beige color. I had the weirdest, most creepy and confusing dream in the middle of the night. I dreamt that I inhaled and swollen layers and layers of goat fur. I woke up to that terrifying dream because I actually felt so nauseous. I ran to the bathroom and actually started gagging, and then I threw up. That dream stuck with me throughout my entire trip, but that was it. Things started getting even more terrifying when I came back to the U.S., A few days after I came back, I noticed that I started having these blank and depressing moments that would last about 5 to 10 seconds. Then, I would feel like myself again. I'm not sure if you guys have ever watched the movie Birdcage with Sandra Bullock. If not, to summarize the movie, if you see, you suicide. For those who have watched the film... If you remember, there is a scene where Sandra Bullock was in the car with her sister who was driving. Her sister suddenly had a there's-no-point-of-living look on her face. It was fearful and hopeless. It looked as if her loved one had just died through suicide. That's the best way to describe my 5-10 to second moments I was just talking about. Anyway, getting back on track, not only did I have these moments, but... There were times where I would see myself having a a distorted body, especially when I was in the shower. You remember distorted TV statics back when? The ones with those colorful vertical bars that are all squiggly? Yeah, that's what I saw in my body. My arms, my legs, my torso, everything in my body looked distorted. I'd started to cry because I was terrified. I felt possessed. I didn't know what was happening. I started calling out to God. I started going back to church again. I sought God's help, and then I came home from church one day with courage. My fear suddenly went away. I looked at myself in the mirror as if I was talking to this evil spirit that I had in me. I told this evil spirit that I was no longer afraid, and that he should be the one being afraid. I told this devil that I have a stronger being behind me and he damn well knows who this is. I told him if he wants to get through me, get through God. And since then, I was fine. I never felt those moments or distorted visions of my body ever again. Until this day, I still have no idea what the hell that was, or what exactly he was trying to do to me, or why I had that dream. So, I don't know if this is the right place to post, but I need to know if anyone has ever seen this thing, or had a similar experience. I live in a small city in Texas currently, but I grew up in a small town about an hour and 30 minutes away. When I visit my family and go home afterwards, I have two different roads that I can take. One is through the highway, 
The other, which is slightly faster, is through the back roads. The back road mainly consists of empty farm roads with nothing but windmills and farmland. Occasionally, there are one or two more cars, but most of the time it's empty. That day, I decided to go through the back roads. My roommate, who had also come to visit her family, was driving behind me in her truck. It was around 6.30pm, and the sun was about to set, but not fully set, leaving the sky with an orange hue. As we were driving through the back road, I see something up ahead crouched next to a bush. As I get closer, I see that it's white and its skin looks leathery. Its legs are extremely long. As I pass it, it jumps over my car onto a tree on the other side of the road. During this moment, I didn't react for some reason. I kept driving, looking ahead with a blank face. It felt as if I was in a trance. When the thing jumped over my car, I was able to see how long its legs actually were. It jumped off the ground like a spring that was pushed down and then let go. It had equally long arms, and overall, it basically looked like a, a tall, large-proportioned human. For some reason, I could have also sworn that I saw a hat on it. The best way I could describe it is like the white spy from Spy vs. Spy. Picture that spy, but with long arms and legs, as well as a thin torso. Like I said, I felt like I was in a, a trance. I drove and drove with my friend behind me until we got to our apartment. The whole way, my mind was blank. and For the life of me, I can't explain how my mind and body felt. We got home, and I'd completely forgotten about it and neither my roommate nor me brought it up. Until about two weeks later. Me and my roommate were drinking, and for some reason, she said something that instantly reminded me of that day. I looked at her, and I asked her, Do you remember that time we were driving on the back roads and that thing jumped over my car? She instantly remembered, and told me she felt like, after it happened, she was lost in a trance as well. She described the thing exactly the way I pictured it. However, from her point of view, she definitely saw it clearer. I still can't explain what exactly it was we saw, and then why we were in a trance after we saw it, or why we completely forgot about it until that night. If anyone has any theories, or maybe a logical explanation, I'd love to hear it. I sometimes stay awake at night thinking that whatever it was might show up again to take me. <laughs> I still drive down the same road hoping to come across it again. I'm not afraid. I'm just so confused. This started back in 2010 with my mother and my sister. They started telling me they started hearing strange voices. They claimed that it sounded like someone turned on the TV to a staticky station and turned the volume down to a low setting. 
almost to where you know it's on, but it's not there sort of thing. Strangely, they said they heard it in the kitchen, and at times in the bathroom, too. This continued for years. I believed them. I mean, who wouldn't? It's your mom and your sister, but I was skeptical. Flash forward a few years to when I come home from the military, permanently, after a handful of weeks, I start to get that staticky, distant TV sound too, as they did. I hear it in the same places as they claim to have heard it. They've lovingly called him Radio Guy, apparently. They've sort of made friends with him. This goes on for a while. Just hearing that odd sound as if someone is trying to speak, but all we get is the static. This continues on for a few more weeks, and we start to smell things now, too. We assume it's the radio guy. What do we start to smell? Well, we start to smell cigar smoke, coffee being brewed, and breakfast. Like, a full eggs, bacon, and toast kind of breakfast. Although no one is cooking or brewing coffee or smokes cigars. Now, oddly enough, the house they lived in were one of the classic cookie-cutter houses built during the Depression into the start of World War II. Low-income, low-rent housing kind of areas. So, it very well could be a fellow that lived there during that time that loved him some breakfast, loved a hot pot of joe, and enjoyed a stogie on occasion. So, I mean... Why not? We learned to live with this radio guy, not really making out any voices for years until my sister and I get the idea to use our smartphones as EVP devices. Once we got that vibe of radio guy, we would whip out our phones and attempt to talk to him. Nothing, except for one lone time we got, Hello, Family. We were stoked as hell that we even got that from him, but then we thought, what family? Was he talking about us? Our family? Or his own? We were sure if he was intelligent or a residual being, so we were back to square one. It just sort of lived with Radio Guy for the better part of a decade. An odd occurrences that happened, though, was... One night, I was sleeping on the couch in the living room. I woke up for some reason, sit up, and in the hallway was this red mist. I notice it. I ask what it is, and it drifts into my nephew's room. His room is the very first door in the hallway, so I get up and investigate. Nothing. No red mist. No weird vibes. No more radio guy after this night. All that was there was my young nephew sawing logs. I'm still befuddled as to why radio guy just left that night. Not one of us have had an experience since. But what was the red mist? Where did it go? And what do you all think of this? 
This happened around the early 2000s. I was around 8 years old at the time, and was at my aunt's house. My cousin, her son, was a college student at the time, but he and my aunt would regularly babysit me while my parents were at work. He'd recently got a new Dell laptop to use for school, and during this incident, I was hanging out in his room, but he was on his desktop doing homework while babysitting me, so he let me play on his laptop. Back then, Yahoo Messenger was what he used to chat with friends and our cousins, and he was logged in on his laptop. Of course, being the kid I was, I used his account to message some of our cousins or his friends, pretending to be him. Out of nowhere, I got a chat from someone I didn't recognize. I started chatting with them, thinking it was a relative or his friend that didn't have their email contact saved. The conversation seemed normal until they asked for my age. Being a kid and inexperienced with the internet, I didn't think much of it at the time. So, pretending to be my cousin, I said I was a teenager. The person replied saying they were a child. I can't remember the specific age, but they said they were younger than my actual age. I knew they were lying, because why would a child be active on Yahoo Chat and articulate themselves so well? So I said, you're lying. You can't be that young and type that well. The person then said that they were telling the truth and that I was lying about my age. I remember asking them to prove to me how they knew I was lying, they said they can tell what I was wearing at the time of the chat. At the time, I was wearing a pink and purple pajama set with a white cat on the shirt. The person said that I was sitting on a bed with a pink shirt with a cat on it. I literally got the chills and felt the color leave my body. I looked around my cousin's room and saw that he had a Logitech QuickCam chat webcam connected to his desktop. I said to him, Are you messing with me right now? He said, No, what are you talking about? Are you chatting with me on Yahoo Messenger? No, do you see me on Yahoo right now? He was right. He was on the internet browser the whole time. I even asked him to maximize his Yahoo chat window, and he had no conversation history with me. How could he when I was using his account? The person messaged me again, saying, Why'd you stop replying? I know you're there. I was petrified. I closed his laptop and left it on his bed. I can't remember if his laptop even had a webcam, but almost 17 years later, I still get the chills thinking about this incident. I'm positive it wasn't my cousin and... Whoever it was had most likely hacked into his Logitech webcam or his laptop. To edit, and to add to the story, my cousin never admitted it was him messing around with me either, even after my initial confrontation. He also didn't have any active chats open at the time with other people that I didn't see, 
as this happened within maybe 10 minutes. It was a pretty short conversation. The chat with me showed up on his desktop as it was on his laptop, me using his account to chat. Again, I was 8 and my cousin was around 19 or 20, so I don't think he would have trolled me that hard and then never admitted to it. I hope that clarifies any confusion. When I lived in Tucson, I rented a home in a retirement community. I had a Harley-Davidson and was living with my dog. A neighbor had a motorcycle as well, but was too old to ride and would stand outside and wave when I would ride by and take off. He lived just across from me. The neighbor next to him said he was a really nice guy and could use a friend and someone to help out from time to time with things. Seeing as has he was older and I was in my early 30s. One day, I'm on my ladder cutting branches on my mesquite tree. He asks if I can swing by afterwards and cut a few of his branches as well. I gladly say yes. We got to chatting, and his wife of nearly 70 years had passed about five years prior, and he said he'd been sad and lonely without her. He also told me that he was a teacher for many years before retiring. As we parted ways, he asked if I could come by sometime and help him plug in a Blu-ray player that he had purchased. I told him no problem. I came by to install the Blu-ray player a few days later, and he was making something to eat. He asked if I wanted to have a bite, and if I was into whiskey. I told him that I was an avid Jameson drinker in my 20s, so he poured me some whiskey on the rocks. As we had some Bertoli pasta, before hooking up the Blu-ray player behind his TV that was hard to get to in an odd entertainment center, he asked me, Do you like wrestling? I have a good friend that lives near the base of Mount Lemon. He is about my age. Sometimes we have some of the younger guys over there, and he has mats in the house. Everyone takes off their shirts and pants and wrestles. It's a lot of fun. Um, what the hell? I told him that's not something I'm interested in, and I became extremely uncomfortable. I decided to very quickly hook up the Blu-ray player so I could go home immediately, as I'm behind the TV and can't see him. He starts asking me if I enjoyed watching pornography. That... He has those kinds of videos on DVD, and he can share them with me. I almost smashed my head into the top of the entertainment center just as I was plugging in the HDMI cable, and he was asking me such bizarre question. As quickly as humanly possible, I got out from behind the TV so I could see him and ensure that I was safe from anything happening. Thankfully, he was just standing behind the couch 15 feet away, watching while I finished. I told him, hey, I'm not into that kind of thing, I've gotta go. 
and I quickly made a dash for the door before I told him goodbye. From that point forward, I never interacted with him. My damn motorcycle was very loud, so every time I would leave, which was often, he would hear it, come outside, and watch while I rode off, waving at me. When I'd come home late in the evenings, I could see in his front window where his computer and monitor were, and I swear there were videos of women on his monitor with his blinds wide open while he sat there. I never stopped long enough to see very many specifics about what he was watching. Considering he was a teacher in his former life up in Minnesota, his completely bizarre and disgusting questions really frightened me about whether or not he may have been involved with younger people in the past. This was about a year ago, and those memories still freak me out to this day when I think back. For reference, I'm a female and this happened to me in the summer of 1984, when I was 13 years old. Well, anyways, that summer my parents sent me and my twin sisters to camp for the summer. For obvious reasons, I will be changing the name of the camp to Camp Up High. Camp Up High is located in the Angeles National Forest near Mount Wilson which is 52 miles from Long Beach, California. Anyways, we get to the camp and are introduced to our camp counselors and given a tour of the camp. I immediately fell in love with it because it was beautiful, but my twin sisters didn't seem too happy. Well, anyways, later that night after dinner, the counselors gathered all of us together around a campfire to tell stories, roast marshmallows, and make s'mores. About a week after getting to camp and during dinner, one of the counselors, named Running Rooster, told us that the next day, we would be getting up early and going on a hike to another campground where we would spend the night. Getting up the next morning and after breakfast, we all went to our cabins and gathered up our camping stuff and met up with the counselors at the snack barn. After the counselors made sure that we were all there, we started off on our hike. I remember being excited because I've always loved the outdoors. Now, mind you, this was during the 80s, long before cell phones and social media, so hearing stories about cryptids, skinwalkers, and dogmen were unheard of. I remember how beautiful everything was, and the smell of the fresh pine trees, and the sounds of nature echoed around me. I also remember, while walking on the trail, a group of trees to my left and hearing the sound that kind of startled me at first. But when I looked, I realized it was a group of soldiers on the grounds for a training mission. While standing there, watching them, it dawned on me that I was way behind my group, so in a hurry to get caught up with them, I didn't notice how quiet everything became around me. After crossing a small stream to catch my breath and realizing it was too quiet, I kind of started getting scared because I still didn't hear or see my group. 
that's when I first heard something moving diagonally to the right of me. That's also whenever I smelled whatever it was. Darting my head to the right, that's when I saw it. It was standing half behind one of the pine trees. In shock and unable to move or scream, I just stood there, staring at whatever this was. Whatever this creature was, I know it had to stand at least seven to eight feet tall. All of its body was covered in semi-long brownish hair, except for its face. It almost looked human, but its arms were longer than they should have been, and its hands were huge. This thing was large, and its legs did not look like it could hold its weight. I remember how god-awful it smelled. I almost wanted to puke. After standing there for what seemed like forever, I heard my name being called off in the distance, breaking me out of my trance. I took off running towards the group, and that's when I realized that whatever that was, it was chasing me. Hearing my name again, I ran even faster because I just wanted to get the hell away from it and be safe. After getting back with my group, I realized it had stopped chasing me, so I started calming down, and that's when one of my sisters asked what was wrong, and I told her nothing. I don't know what I saw that day, and I still don't, but I can tell you it was not natural, nor human, and it is something I have never forgotten, and is forever burned in my memory. I've been reading a lot of encounters here lately, and felt that I should contribute with the next one on the timeline. Thanks to everyone who reads this, and those who are sharing their own experiences. My last post was about my first paranormal encounter, and my first post was about seeing a face in the window. The story picks up in a different duplex, but in the same tiny town that I saw that face in the window. Literally just a couple doors down the same block. The two duplexes were side by side. I saw the face when I lived in the left unit of the duplex on the left, and then moved to the right-hand unit of the duplex on the right. Easiest move I've ever done. (laughs) So... I moved into this new duplex as my sister was moving for work, and I couldn't afford the rent on my own. Two of my coworkers lived there, and their rooms were upstairs, and my room was downstairs in the partially unfinished basement. At first, everything was normal, and I got settled in. My room was big enough that I had my bed in the corner, and had enough room for a two-seater couch and my TV and Xbox, and my one roommate had his gaming PC set up in the open, unfinished portion of the basement. I began getting an uneasy feeling at night in my room, though. I would often feel like I was being watched, and would think that I could hear the odd noise or bang through my headset while I was playing games or watching a movie. There was never anything there, though, 
when I looked, and I did have roommates in bedrooms above me, so it was easily explainable. One night, that all changed, though, as I headed to bed. I'd been feeling like I was being watched all evening. As I switched off the light and crawled into bed, all was normal. After a few minutes in bed, I felt really anxious. I could feel someone in my room. You could just sense them. A quick glance in the dark didn't show me anything, so I grabbed my phone for light. Nothing there. My mind is playing tricks on me, I'm sure, so I turn off my phone light and try to get comfortable again. As my eyes adjust to the dark, suddenly the shape of a tall man with a hat is barely visible in the corner of my room, a slightly deeper shadow than the shadows around my room. I grab my phone light again, but once again, nothing is there in the light. I hid the light under the blankets and the shadow figure returns in the dark, just seemingly appearing from the shadow in the corner next to my door. My light switch was actually outside my room, a weird quirk, but it was an unfinished basement, and my room wasn't actually intended to be a bedroom. I didn't know what to do, but being too freaked out to sleep at that point... I decided to use my phone light to get me to my TV for more light, and then turn my bedroom light on, one step at a time. I ended up watching a show to calm me down, and eventually fell asleep on my couch with the TV and lights on that night. I began seeing the Shadow Man fairly often after that. Even in the semi-dark with my TV on, he never stepped out of that corner, just always seemed to be standing there, watching me. And so, I got used to his presence. His presence was unnerving at first, but I realized he didn't give off a threatening vibe like the face I had seen watching me through my window a few months before moving. He was just there. In my research that I did after the activity escalated, it sounds like most experiences with these shadow figures are like that. They're watchers. Somehow a neutral entity. The activity did progress, but I believe it was due to other spirits and entities. But that's a story for my next post, so if you have any questions, please ask. So, this happened two years ago when I was still in high school. A little bit of background. My mom lives in an apartment in the city that I went to high school in, and since she lived not far from the school, I went and returned home by foot every day. The story happened during winter, so... When I got out of school at 5pm, it was already dark outside. I remember perfectly when it happened. It was Friday evening, and for once, I didn't have classes on Saturday, so I took the time I had to go shopping with my friends. 
We finished around 6pm and separated to go back to our houses. It was maybe 6.30 when I arrived in the street where I lived and had two options. Entering the building by the front door or entering by the back door, which was closer to where I was. So, I chose the second option and entered the alleyway where the gate was and started to look for my keys. But, as I opened my bag, I saw a shadow on the wall next to me, indicating that someone was behind me. The thing is, only residents of the building would have to go in this alley since there was nothing except the building's parking lot closed by the gate. So... Clearly, this person had absolutely no reason to be here. I turned around to face a man, probably in his mid-thirties. I couldn't really see since it was dark and there was only a street lamp a few meters behind him. I tend to panic really quickly, so I tried to stay calm. He said something to me, but since I had my earphones in, I asked him to repeat what he said thinking maybe he was asking for directions or help. He simply replied that all was going as planned, and that he just wanted to know my name. I didn't want to give him my name, so I gave a fake one in hopes that he would leave me, but he asked me if we could talk a bit, and if I could give him my Snapchat ID, because he wanted to know me better. I was really scared, but decided to stay polite since he could have been armed or something like that, and I didn't want to upset him. I told him I didn't have Snapchat, which was true, and he stopped to smile. He said, Why are you lying? Every pretty girl your age has Snapchat. Otherwise, how would you share your cute photos? I didn't know how to react, so I simply said it was the truth and that I needed to go home to take care of my little brother. At one point, he must have noticed how scared I was, since he said to me, Am I scaring you? Why are you scared? I just want to talk with you. And he actually started to yell in the street, saying that all girls were the same and that he hated women. I tried to stay calm, but I couldn't speak. I was literally terrified, so I started to slowly walk towards the gate, but he screamed and told me not to move or he would rip my throat off. But then he calmed down and asked if I had a boyfriend. It was like speaking to two different people. I didn't want to reply, so he got mad again and walked toward me like he wanted to hit me. I wanted to run to the gate since it was about 10 meters away, but I knew he would follow me and I needed to enter a code anyways, so he clearly could have hit me or worse. At this moment, a car arrived in the alley, I didn't know the woman inside the car, but honestly, she was like my only escape, so I screamed for help. She opened her window, told me to get in the car, and told the guy to move or she would call the police. 
and she waited with me until the creepy dude finally left, and then made sure that I got home safely. I'll never thank her enough for saving me to this day. The guy was sincerely creepy as hell, and to this day, I still think about what could have happened if the woman had arrived a few seconds later. Hey guys, I just finished watching this interview with Joe Rogan and David Fravor about his UFO sighting. Well, I decided I wanted to share an experience me and my brother had several years ago. I've told all of my family and friends, but I've never shared it online, other than on my personal Facebook when it happened. My grandpa and two uncles used to work at NASA in various positions. My uncles both denied ever hearing about anything extraterrestrial while working there, whereas my grandpa wouldn't tell me any specific stories, but he told me that he knew we were not alone. Anyway, I grew up in Cape Canaveral, Florida, but I now live in Georgia, about 20 minutes south of Atlanta, which is where this took place. So... Several years ago in the summer, me and my brother rode in his truck to the gas station to get snacks and cigarettes. After we got our things, we decided to park in a space facing the road so we could smoke before we went home. My mom didn't know that we smoked at this time. We were sitting there, and I remember distinctly that we were drinking Yoohoo's and eating hot Cheetos. Everything about this experience stayed in my mind, and whenever I visit that gas station, or drink a Yoohoo, I now think about it and what we saw. So, we were sitting there, just talking, and I noticed something in the sky, and I said, Hey, what's that? My brother looked, and we saw five lights in the sky in a V formation. They weren't moving, but just sitting there. We do live close to Hartsfield-Jackson Airport, and we see planes all the time. These were not planes. It was in the middle of the daytime, and the lights were bright, and like I said, not moving. Well, as we were staring at the lights, the two top lights of the V flew in different directions extremely fast and then came back and joined the formation. This happened in around a second. After that, the middle two lights did the same thing, flew quickly away, and then flew back into the formation. Next, all of the lights scattered in different directions and did not return. They disappeared. We were shocked by what we just saw, and drove home quickly to tell our mom... I then posted on Facebook asking anyone if they saw the lights in the sky, and two other people who lived near me said that they had. Some people asked why I didn't take a picture or video. Well, first of all, when it happened, we were both so enamored by what we were seeing that it didn't occur to me to pull out my phone. It all happened so fast, maybe in the span of about 45 seconds and we were so focused on what we were seeing that 
it just didn't cross either of our minds. Second of all, at this time my brother had an iPhone that he left at home, but I only had a slide phone, so the camera would not have been that good. Anyway, I think about this occurrence all the time. My brother is a no-nonsense type person. He's a non-believer of everything, from ghosts, aliens, Bigfoot, etc. I don't know really how to describe him, but he's definitely not someone who would make up a UFO story. He might not even tell anyone just to keep himself from looking weird to others. But even he can't explain what we saw, and he will corroborate the story. Me? I'm very open-minded. Since this happened, I definitely believe in extraterrestrial, and have become interested in other mysteries like cryptozoology and stuff like that. So, maybe people might not believe the story, and that's fine. Me and my brother both know what we saw, and there's no way anyone could explain it being a plane or even a military craft based on how it stayed put and then zoomed off and back again so quickly. I feel privileged getting to witness something like this because some skeptics may never get the visual proof or experience they are looking for. Has anyone else ever had an experience like this? To set some facts, I was an exchange student, small built, and I lived in an apartment on my own. I'm also an extremely heavy sleeper, meaning that my neighbors would blast loud music, and my other neighbors have their loud TV right beside my bed. But I never woke up because of the noise. Mind you, this story might not seem as scary to some, but being someone who has never been in such a situation, it was definitely a freeze-or-fight moment for me. I originally come from a big city. Not too overcrowded, but pretty big. It's always been safe in my city to anyone. You rarely hear about break-ins, even though it's always busy. However, in the States, I lived in a really small town. A college town, basically. Very quiet and sleepy all the time. The area where my apartment was located wasn't the fanciest in town, but also wasn't the sketchiest. I've never feared for my safety in there until that day. I needed a nap, and I dragged it longer than I intended to, so I woke up around late sunset. Towards the end of my nap, for some reason, and remember, I'm a very heavy sleeper, I was half asleep and half awake. It was getting darker already outside, so there was not much light to alarm me of the time. If anything, I was closer to being asleep than awake. I kept hearing sounds from the wall where my apartment door is, which also happens to be the same side of the walls where my bed and the window are. In the beginning, being myself, I thought that I was dreaming. I was still half awake, and I thought it was one of my neighbors doing something. But, 
Then the scratching and noise kept going for about a full minute. And this is when I became fully awake. I sat on my bed and paid attention and quickly realized that this scratching noise was someone outside of my door. I gathered every single bit of courage that me and all of my ancestors had and walked closer to the door. Thinking about it now, I probably shouldn't have. Now, I identified the scratching sounds were coming from my doorknob slash lock. The sounds of when someone tries to insert a key or a card to unlock the door to get in. Except this person clearly didn't have a key to my apartment. I kept getting closer to the door so I could take a look through the peephole. There was an old man, white beard, white hair, dressed in all dark clothing, with a couple of shopping bags sitting next to him. I've never thought so rationally or irrationally in my life so quickly. I've never been that brave. I mean, what can a five-foot girl do with zero self-defense knowledge, right? All what I learned that day is, unfortunately for a small girl, my response was fight. I took a couple steps back, and I ran to the door and kicked it as hard as I could and growled at him. You'd think he would run at this point, but he didn't. He just picked up his bags, turned his back, and went downstairs. To make sure I'm safe, I reported it to the sheriff's office. The lady on the phone told me that he might just be an old man who's lost. But why my apartment, though? She told me there was a couple of incidents of the same nature that were reported the previous week. Then, to double-check, I talked to my neighbors downstairs who have a clear sight of whoever gets up and down the stairs, and they hang outside of their apartment a lot. So when I confirmed with them, they said they saw him once on the opposite side of the apartments, but they're not sure if he lives there. I always wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt. He might be just old and lost, but... What if it wasn't that way? It could all just be a good disguise. Plus, I'm the only single little girl who lived in that building. But I can't stop thinking about if he meant harm that day. I probably dodged a bullet. Okay, so my first apartment in Chicago, I had two roommates. Myself and one worked during the day, and our third was an IT man that could work remotely. So he was home, mostly. One day we're hanging out in the living room, just vibing. Casually, he says to me very calmly, Sometimes, when you guys are gone and I'm here... I can see shadows moving in and out of your bedrooms. Fast forward, a year goes by and an apartment opens in the front of the building. For reference, the building is old and owned by my third roommate's grandparents. However, his granddad passed, leaving only his grandmother as the owner. So, 
I'm able to secure the front apartment. This is where things really begin to take a turn. Very small occurrences at first. The ceiling fan would turn on by itself. Objects would be moved or rearranged. An example would be that I would leave my shoes in the hallway, go to sleep, and wake up the next day to find only one shoe in the hall and the other one in another room facing an odd direction. And yes, I'm alone in this unit. Other occurrences had food moved from the fridge to the countertop, like it was about to be prepared, but I hadn't taken anything out. It didn't get scary until I was given a used, gently, mattress that had been stowed in the basement by a previous occupant. It was completely wrapped and barely used. The first or second night after moving it into my unit, I awoke one night due to the sensation that I was being watched. I could look out in the hallway from the bed, and there was nothing but darkness, except the distinct body chill of sensing a presence. However, this seemed very malevolent, heavy. I remember just crawling under my covers and freezing in fear until I must have eventually fallen back asleep. I woke up the next day, nothing unusual. That night, I was getting ready for my shift for work. I had closed my apartment door and had stepped into the vestibule. No sooner as I had shut and locked the deadbolt, three loud raps against the door coming from inside my apartment. I jumped back so quick and hurried out of my building to work. After my shift, two in the morning or so, I had told a coworker of mine about the event and asked them to accompany me home just to check things out. Once I had returned to my apartment and opened the door, all lights off except for the ceiling fan in the living room, running full blast even though it was off when I had left. Nothing strange happened after that until my friend moved into the living room of the apartment. One morning, we both found the door to the apartment completely stuck. It would not budge. We could not open it no matter how hard we tried. She had to go and exit out of the fire escape. I was off that day and didn't have to be anywhere, so I stayed in. I let my super know. Then, during the middle of the afternoon, I'm just playing on my PC when, seemingly out of nowhere, I hear the door just come ajar. I inspect, and yeah, it was open, as if it had never even been stuck. My super didn't even touch it, ended up never having to even come check it out. So, time continues. I move back into my old unit with one of my former roommates. Our IT guy moved since I had last been in that unit. We get a new dude, who seems cool, never met our previous roommate. In between jobs, so he's at home while the two of us are working. You can see where this may be going. Anyways, we're just hanging out and concerned... He says to me, I don't want to scare you, but when you're at work, 
I can hear and see shadows moving around in your room. So, I think... Something attached itself to me, as small things still occur from time to time, even though I'm not in that building anymore. Hello. I'm typing this because I just got off the phone with a friend who just experienced something insane and I wanted to share it here to get any advice as to what it was, or what it was trying to do. Before I start, I need to mention a few things. The friend, let's call him W, 18 and male, and I both live in the same dorm. He's on the floor below me. Recently, he has been experiencing a few paranormal experiences in his room, and one time I was there and experienced it. My friend also has a roommate, T, but each time these experiences have occurred, the roommate has been gone. What has been recently happening is that his bathroom door has been closing on its own and the light being turned on. This is not normal, because both he and his roommate leave the bathroom door open at all times, and with the lights always off. The time I was there... I remember going to the bathroom area to look in the mirror, and he followed me. I remember just minutes before when I had come into his room, his bathroom door was open and the lights turned off, like usual. When he followed me, he pointed out that the bathroom door was closed and the lights were on. I saw it too. He said this kept happening and has asked his roommate, and his roommate denied having anything to do with it. Here's what's interesting. My RA, dorm residence advisor, hangs out quite a lot, and I remember him telling me how he has responded to several calls from residents in the hall, claiming there was somebody in their bathroom, with the door closed, locked, and the lights on. He told me this, and only me. I texted him when it happened, and he said it usually happened in room 102, Guess what room my friend lives in? I told W and we both sort of laughed it off. We said that the ghost of the woman who our dorm is named after is living with him. Since that day, a month ago, this has happened about three or four times when W was in the room alone. Now, as for last night, I will tell you everything I know and everything he told me. It was three in the morning. W was trying to sleep. He was alone as his roommate was spending the night in another friend's dorm. He was sleeping on his side, facing the wall when he felt a hand on his back. He turned and heard distinctly a voice say, Hello? He said he couldn't tell if it was male or female, but he knew that he heard it. He freaked out and turned on his phone light and couldn't see anything, He then got up and turned on the lights in his room. He was terrified, but after a while, he tried going back to sleep, with the lights on. A few minutes later, he felt a presence covering his hand. He heard the same voice say something along the lines of, Do not be afraid of me. Right after hearing that, he described what felt like a surge of energy 
flowing into his hand, and his body sort of began to convulse. He described it, It felt like I was floating or leaving my body, and believed it was trying to take him somewhere. During this, he said he wasn't feeling necessarily afraid. After that happened, he said he felt a presence laying next to him in the bed. He felt like it was a person, but he couldn't see or touch it. He couldn't tell if it was a boy or a girl, and after a while, it disappeared. I am very religious, and my friend is not. His roommate, T, however, is Christian and has a cross necklace hanging from his bed. I mention this because the paranormal experiences have not happened to T, and always occur when he is gone. Could this be related to the fact that T is religious and W is not? Also, not only is W not religious, but he is gay. I'm trying to give as much information as I can so that we can figure out what that entity was, what was it trying to communicate, and why it tries to seem to only target W and no one else. So, please do respond if any of this sounds familiar, or like something you know of. Again, I am pretty religious, but I'm baffled, and I can't tell if this is a bad spirit, a ghost or some kind of good spirit. I'll keep you all updated if anything else happens. This happened to my brother and I in the summer of 1995. I was 24, and he was 22. We lived with our mom out in the open desert at a place called Whispering Ranch, which was about 10 to 20 miles in any direction from the nearest town. The roads weren't paved, and we did not have electricity or running water. Because of that, we had to haul our water in from town. The only means of light we had were kerosene lanterns and flashlights. One day, our mom asked us if we could walk down to her friend John's place and pick up some tools she needed for a project she was going to do the next day. We told her yeah, and then headed out across the desert. It took less time because John lived about a mile away. There would still be half a mile between us and the road to John's house. So, anyway, we get to John's and sit under the shade to drink some water while he goes and gets the tools for our mom. He comes back, and gives us the tools. We put them down, and decide to stay and visit a little because it was scorching. After the sunset, we realized it had gotten darker. The only means of light that we had was a flashlight. We told him we had to leave, so we grabbed the tools for our mom and said goodbye. We left and started to walk down the road. While walking home, we decided to cut across the desert to get home faster. We got halfway across the desert before it sounded like something was following us. At first, we didn't pay attention to it because out there, it wasn't uncommon to hear an animal at night. The further we walked, the sound of something breathing got closer and closer. My brother stopped and turned to see what was following us, and that was when he saw it. Two 
glowing red eyes staring at us. He tugged my arm, shushing me. He told me to move slowly, be quiet, and don't look back. I didn't listen to him. Turning around, I saw the eyes and screamed. We took off running towards our moms, and that's when it started chasing us. I ended up tripping, hitting my face on the ground. Between the night sky and our light, there was no telling where we were going. When I got up, I saw red eyes and I screamed for my brother. He came back and grabbed me, shoving the flashlight in my hand. We started running again, and so did the thing chasing us. By this time, we were scared. There was nothing to protect us from whatever was chasing us. Somehow, for a brief moment, my brother and I got separated, and that's when I fell again, rolling over onto my back. I sat up, pointing the flashlight in the direction of the animal, and that's when we saw what was chasing us. It was huge. I imagined if it stood, it would be about eight feet tall. It had long, shiny black hair, a snout like a wolf, long, sharp claws, and it smelled like rotten flesh. It snarled at us, looking with its dead, cold eyes. We were scared, frozen in place at the sight of this. My brother snapped out of his trance, dragging me to my feet. We wasted no time running as the creature screeched at us with a horrendous force. The creature pursued us quickly. I could feel its hot breath in the back of my leg. I thought it was going to get me at any second. Just then, the light of a bonfire came into view. We ran towards it, seeing my mom and my family members. We collapsed in front of them terrified. And for a few minutes, couldn't even talk. They looked at us in confusion, wondering what we were worked up about. When we told them what happened, nobody believed us. They laughed and called us chickens because they thought there was nothing to be afraid of. The next morning, I woke up and went into the kitchen. My mom looked at me, wide-eyed, in a shocked tone. She yells at me, Patricia, come here. What is that on the back of your leg? Confused, I replied, What do you mean, Mom? She points to my thigh. Look! On my right thigh are three large scratch marks, almost blood red. That night during the chase, it must have scratched me. I guess I didn't notice at the time due to the adrenaline rushing through me. Well, needless to say, we never walked out there after dark again. This happened about an hour and a half ago. There is one Walgreens downtown in my city, open 24 hours. I'm impatient, and I wanted to pick up what I needed tonight instead of trekking out during the day. So, I go, do my shopping, and head to the car. I'm sitting in the car, it's running, doors are locked, and I'm trying to get a podcast to where the story is instead of sitting through the host's BS for 45 minutes, looking at you, my favorite murder. When I first got to the car, 
my half of the lot was empty. Anyways, I get my podcast to the right point, and I hear something pull on my back passenger door. I look up, and there's a young male with a ball cap on, standard surgical mask and a backpack, and he's dressed in all black, and all of his accessories are black. He was by my back passenger door, and when I looked back, startled to say the very least, he kind of ducked down and peeked into the passenger window, holding his hands up as if to apologize. I put the car in reverse, and calmly back the car up and reverse into another spot, so now I'm facing the rest of the lot, and the spot I was parked in is to my right. This dude is still standing there making apology hands, then he points to two cars in the lot closer to the building, and jogs over to them slowly as if to point out, I have a car right here, no need to freak out. There was a man and a woman getting out of one of the cars, paying me and this dude no mind as they walked to the store. On their right was another vehicle that I couldn't see, and I couldn't see if anyone was in it or near it. I just wanted to get the hell out of there at this point, so I did, shaking like a freaking leaf. Here are a few things. First, last month, my boyfriend's car was stolen. It was completely my fault. I ran into a gas station for literally a minute leaving the car running, which I've done countless times in my life, and which I will never do again, in front of the store. I recall a big newer pickup pulling in front while I was paying, and when I left 12 seconds later, both my boyfriend's car and the pickup were gone. So, this kid seemingly pointing to the other vehicle as if to say, I have a car, why would I want yours, is of no comfort. Who knows who was in the other car? It could have been a similar situation where the thief gets dropped off and steals a car and then his accomplice follows him out. Second thing, the way the car was parked. If this dude came from that direction... He had to have seen me in the driver's seat. I was sitting up, setting my phone up, so he couldn't even use the excuse of I didn't know you were there or I was just making sure you were okay. You could see what I was doing, and I was very conscious. Also, why go to the back passenger side and try the door handle to see if it would open? I wish I stuck around... I wish I could have called the cops, I just was not sure this dude didn't have a weapon on him, and when I saw him, he just decided to play stupid and walk away instead of actually doing something. I didn't get a good look at him either, especially because he was wearing a hat and a mask, and he was bent over, so no real gauge on his height. I did try calling the store, but no one was answering even after I tried skipping all the prompts. So, especially after getting my boyfriend's car stolen, I'm extra shaken. What if the door was unlocked for some reason? What if the dude had a weapon and tried to use it? 
What if there were other people around with him, but I got out of there before seeing them? What if he was hoping I was asleep, or whatever, and was just going to hide in the back, like some horrible urban legend come to life? I'm supposed to be in bed snuggled with my boyfriend, but instead I'm freaking out outside chain-smoking. That's another thing. I don't smoke in the new car. What if I'd been outside smoking before heading home? Would he just have pushed past me, or pushed me in? Anyways, really freaked out, and thank you for reading my mess. I hope everyone takes care. I'm still trying to make myself believe it was just a nightmare. I wish that it was just a nightmare. I mentioned playing the Ouija board three times. I wish I never did play with it. Even now, I don't know what the hell I was thinking, or if I was even thinking at all. I think I was bored, or whatever. Maybe desperate to talk with a loved one. They were played with at night. The first time I played, I only broke one rule. I was playing alone. I was playing on the floor of my small room, and nothing happened, so I ended the game properly by saying goodbye. The second time, I still played alone. The pointer moved around, but really slow and in no direction at all, just a circle. I didn't think much of this. Maybe it needed time to reply. It never landed on a letter or a number. It moved from a circle to trying to go off the board, and I ended the game just like last time. The third time, I asked what its name was, and it spelled out Zozo. I tried keeping calm and ended the game. I heard of Zozo. I knew I messed up horribly. When I tried going to sleep about two in the morning, and something scratched at my foot. Instantly, I couldn't move. I felt like I was being held down. My door was cracked open, but nothing was there. Something was definitely there. No human could get under my bed without shuffling around trash. Yes, I'm not exactly the neatest, but something has to be under my bed because... I fear a human or thing crawling on all fours coming out, so I went with putting trash there. When I looked at the cracked open door, and I started overthinking every possibility that could happen, except for a horrendous murder, in this weird second-person view, I vividly see the most twisted murder that I can't bring myself to repeat. I'll just say decapitation and a deep slash over the throat in the most violent way possible. There was a shadow thing crouching down beside my parents' bed. In my head, a second person, whatever it was, I'm banging on my neighbor's door, crying, screaming, shaking really hard, but... I'm still in my bed staring at the cracked open door and quietly crying. Then, 
in that weird view, I'm seeing everything again until the morning. And that hasn't happened again, but I threw the board out and just believed it was a loop dream. Until I saw the same shadow thing walking casually from the hallway to the kitchen about a week ago. I'm not the only person seeing that thing. Our three cats see it too. One minute they'll be playing and having fun, then they suddenly stop and stare at whatever got their attention. The next thing, they dig their claws into the rug as they run after whatever they saw. They end up in my room that I stupidly played that game in. I'm a night owl, and I'm always tense at home. My muscles often hurt because of how I would tense them so often. My work was supposed to be a little bit of normalcy. It did work for a while, until the encounters with them happened. We're going to be a little understaffed for a while. Some may not get a 30-minute break. It's sort of falling apart. Since all that happened, my door has stayed shut. That board is at the dump now, and honestly, I'm being stared at a bit more often from the hall. <laughs> the shadow that peeks around the corners seems to be more curious. That's different than the shadow that I saw in my parents' room. The shadow in my parents' room was bigger, potentially taller than the curious one, it sticks around a little longer, and I can get a bit more of a look at it than a glimpse. I hope I never experience whatever that was. A nightmare? Whatever that view shift was about? I'm never playing that board again. Maybe it was a nightmare, and I didn't know I fell asleep. Maybe I was half asleep. I was trying to sleep, but I had just laid in bed not feeling tired yet. I don't mind not being believed or being criticized. School did that more often than teaching. But this is killing me, because I was awake when this happened. So, this park has different parking lots in various pull-offs from the main road, I pulled in one and followed the road down to the last parking lot there. There is a, a park-slash-preservation area with hella walking trails and a bunch of fishing spots. There are some open fields too, but it's mainly just heavily wooded areas with plenty of trails. So, myself, my partner, and my two large dogs had finished one of the trails that came out into a parking lot at another pull-off. We looked at the map and realized that we had to take this main pathway that linked all of the pull-offs. We walk it back to the one we were at, and it came through near the entrance. This meant we had to walk about three-quarters of a mile-ish beside the blacktop to where we parked. As we were walking... This old guy, 70-plus, in a minivan, slows down and pulls his mask down to his chin. Mind you, there's no mandate here, so people who wear them usually wear them properly. And he stares. 
I look at him and go back to talking to my partner, who is also confused about what is going on. Like, he looked like he was going to say something, but then just kept staring for about a solid minute. Finally, he drives off. My partner, who is continuously shook by how dudes act around women, was like, WTF. Like, the creep factor that is within the normal range we put up with as women, and he's always just like, guys don't do that, when he sees it on TV. Then, I'll tell him some stories, and he's like, hmm, okay, well that's, you know, creepy as hell. To be fair, he's the type of guy that isn't really comfortable even hitting on girls, so he really isn't aware of what is normal creepiness for us to experience. Anyways, this story. So, we're walking back to the truck and talking about the old dude in the minivan. We get past the first two parking lots, and I'm like, hold up, where did that guy go? Then, we make it a bit further, and I'm thinking, how the hell is it possible he's parked beside my truck? Like, it's not the only vehicle at the park, or even in that parking lot. And there's also hella other spots. So, I'm like, Mother Effer, he's beside the truck. And my partner's like, Okay, what's wrong with that? So, I briefly explain to him that this guy is exactly the type to do something bad. He's doing everything wrong. So, he's beside my truck and he's got some air pump thing, like he's airing up a tire... Like, it's plugged in inside the van and is pumping air. I think it was going to his tires or something, which is weird, because his tires weren't low enough to need to pull over and fill up, and even if they were, why would you pull into the last parking lot down the pull-off? This was hella sketchy. Anyways, we're walking to the truck, and he's still staring. Hard. Like he was gonna say something, but then never said anything. And us, looking right at him, wouldn't stop him either. So we get the dogs in the truck, my boyfriend gets in, and I ask him to take a picture of the license plate while I get the dogs some water. As I was getting in, this creep had already hurriedly put everything away, closed all three doors that he had open, and then hauled ass out of the parking lot. I was like, okay, good riddance. So then, I'm getting situated, and end up pulling out of the spot about 30 seconds after him. I leave, and I'm not really going fast, and right when I see the exit to the main road, I see the guy in his van are still there waiting to turn out. Then, he guns it onto the road. He must have been sitting there for at least a minute until he saw me and then left quickly. I ended up going the other way to avoid even worrying about him again, but literally nothing sat right with me about this. Why was he staring like he couldn't look away? Why did he say nothing when it constantly looked like he was about to say something? Why did he end up parking by my truck? Why was he airing something up, and why did he leave so quick after a picture of his van was taken? Like, 
holy hell, guys, or just people in general, like that are why I don't like leaving the house. I thought about calling the cops to tell them, but I'm not even sure what would come of it. I was on a job where I had to drive site to site and do a small upgrade to the shelving at every CVS pharmacy in California. I'm about a month into the contract, and I've got over a hundred miles through the redwoods to my next location. As I'm driving, I notice that I smell a slight funk on myself. If I can smell it, it will be a hundred times worse to the client. I'll need to figure out how to get a shower and change clothes before arriving at the next location. I'm about 40 miles deep into this isolated stretch of highway through the redwoods when I see a sign for a camp at the next exit. I take the turn off to see if they have a shower. I pull into this really small camp that has about 15 spots all tight together in a circle it's an awful camp, but it's deserted, and they have a shower. Perfect. I grab a towel and a change of clothes, and I head into the bath building. As I approach, I can hear water running. I get to the building, and there's someone in one of the stalls taking a shower. This is really weird. The camp is deserted. No cars, no tents... It's the middle of winter, and we're miles and miles from civilization. Who in the world could be in there? It's got to be a pot farmer, right? Maybe a homeless dude? Are there meth labs in the Redwoods? Not quite spooked by it, but my instincts are telling me that this is very weird. I decide to go ahead and use one of the showers a few stalls down from him, I'm comforted that the doors are thick metal with a big, strong bolt lock. The shower runs on quarters. <laughs> nice, California. I take off my clothes and slide some quarters into the slot, and the water immediately turns on. A second later, I hear... Ah! Oh, no. I must have stolen his hot water. I feel awful, but I can't shut it off. The water instantly runs when the quarters go in. Nothing I can do. So, uneasily, I step under the water, wondering what's going through the other guy's head. Well, I don't have to wait long to find out. I'm about a minute into my shower, when, bam, there's a huge metal smash against my metal shower door followed by him screaming, Bam, bam, bam. This dude is trying to kick down my door. I'm petrified. I get out of the shower and stand by the door dripping wet and naked, with my fists up just in case he gets in. I can't put into words how uncomfortable I felt about the concept of fighting naked. I kept thinking I should try to put my pants on really quick, but couldn't bring myself to do so, because if the door gave while my pants were around my ankles, I would get absolutely destroyed. 
I also thought about the implications of fighting someone miles and miles from the next human being. What are the stakes? I've been in more than a handful of bar fights and even enjoyed boxing with my friends, but there was never any real danger. If someone was getting hurt, everyone breaks it up. Is this guy going to stop fighting if he wins? Is this to the death in his mind? I'm so scared that I'm near panicking, but I try to control my breathing and give myself the best possible chance at coming out of this. After what felt like an eternity of him trying to get in, even though it was probably only a minute or two, he stops screaming and banging. I call out to him, Hey, I'm sorry, I'll give you more quarters. There's no answer. I wait a few more minutes and finally relax a little. Phew, he's got his wits about him. I resume my shower, thinking about how weird this is and wondering if he'll be waiting for me. Then, I think about my truck. I've got a few grand worth of tools in there. I literally cannot afford to lose them. I'm sure he's in it. It's soaking wet. I jump out of the shower, throw on my pants, slam open my stall door, and go running out toward my vehicle. As I turn the corner of the building towards the parking lot at a full sprint, I'm so relieved to see that he's nowhere around. He must have slinked back to wherever he hides in the wilderness, thank God. So, a dear homeless hippie meth lab crazy person, please chill. One day, my cousins and I were playing in the back garden. It was a warm, sunny day in mid-July. The air was kind of hazy and full of the sounds of summer. Insects hid in the long grass just outside the boundaries of the safe garden. The garden and heath ran right through without the fence, gate, or any other type of barrier dividing our private back garden to the public. A very busy heath. For example... If you were playing in the back garden and a random person walked past on the way to the heath, they were clearly visible from anywhere within the vicinity of the garden, as well as being very audible, even down to the point of if the person knew our family, they were able to conduct a simple conversation with whatever kids were playing there. Gran always told us kids that the area directly outside the limit of the garden was strictly forbidden and because she knew us three girls better than the back of her hand, this statement came with an extremely stern warning that, if this rule wasn't followed, we would all receive smacked bottoms. We all abided, even though the three of us had adventurous spirits. At the time of this incident, we were all playing on the crazy pathing path that our builder uncles had made, to make it easier for my wheelchair to run safely along the ground as I played with the other kids. L was pushing me as fast as she could, and I, in turn, was pushing the ancient family pram that had been there longer than any of us had. 
we were playing mummies. As usual, being the oldest, our cousin G was mum, and picking flowers for the milk bottle in our tree-slash-bush house. It was more a cluster of bushes at the bottom of the garden with a clearing, which was easier to adapt into a wheelchair-accessible treehouse, where all of us kids played at one time or another. Suddenly, there was a sense of not being alone. I think Elle and I had both noticed this at the same time, because we raised our heads and looked in the exact direction where the creeping feeling resonated. Just outside the back garden's entrance stood a strange-looking figure. We all said that, after the incident, the figure appeared to be a middle-aged, stocky man dressed in shabby, dark clothing. He called out, Hello, how are you? We didn't answer as we usually did to passers-by who we knew. The stranger continued, I've lost my dog. Have you seen a little white dog? Being ever protective, G answered curtly, No, no, we haven't seen any dogs at all. The stranger didn't look at G, but kept his attention on L and I, although he did respond to G's remark. Oh dear, will you help me look for her? She's not very old, and she might be lost. She couldn't have gotten too far. I automatically began to feel uneasy, and I knew that Elle felt the same way too as I felt her pull my wheelchair back. I let go of the pram, even though we were a good distance away from the stranger. The stranger was motionless throughout this discourse. Indeed, it was eerie how still he was. G had just turned 11 and was adamant. I'm sorry about your dog, but we can't help you. We're not allowed to leave the garden. The stranger remained still and measured. Come on, you won't be away for long. I'll pay you five pounds if you help. Just then, our older male cousin came around the side of the house pushing his bike, followed by a family friend who also lived at the house. They had both just returned home from work, our attention was momentarily distracted away from the figure by their sudden arrival, and when we looked back in the direction that the stranger had been, he'd completely vanished. Seeing his sister G's perplexed look, our cousin H said, What's up with you? We all excitedly told H and our family friend about the strange happening with the man, and while the family friend slightly unnerved by our account, rounded the three of us up and hurried us inside, H immediately marched out to the back garden in the direction of where we said the man must have gone, cursing under his breath about dirty old men perving on little girls, only to return 20 minutes later hot, bothered, and cross. "'Were you three having a laugh or what?' he said angrily. "'There wasn't a man on the way,' I went, in fact, I never saw anyone at all. It's too hot to play stupid games, little brats. The three of us were obviously indignant at this slur, as we had all seen and spoken to the same man. Later, when we were in the bedroom with my mum, she asked us about the incident. I still often talk about that day with my mom and my cousins. 
we still have no idea where the strange man could have gone or who he was. The stream occurred during a long nap on the evening of March 9th, 2015. There was background music throughout the entire dream. It was Sullen Girl by Fiona Apple, but it had a 1970s folk music vibe to it. There was a live play being performed, and it was written by a teenage Bob Dylan. It was a kind of folk music opera, and it was about a family who was affected by something that was referred to as the Moonstone Virus, an apocalyptic affliction. This was the title of the play-slash-opera. The family consisted of a mother and a father with two sons. One was a teen, and the other was younger, anywhere between seven and ten. Dylan's girlfriend was a teenage Lisa Edelstein, who played Lisa Cuddy on the TV show House. Dylan was performing in this play as well. There was a scene that was called the Moonstone Scene, which featured two naked men sitting at a round wooden table with the lampshade on it. The lamp was spherical and had a pleated lampshade. The younger man at the table was John Goodman, and the other was Bob Dylan. The scene opened with the two nude men at the table, who were not facing one another. They sat facing in the same direction, and were posed like Rodin's Thinker statue. The color red was dominant in that scene, not a bright red, but an earth tone. The last part of the dream was at a beach. There were two young blonde men relaxing on the sand, and one was giving the other a head massage. They both reminded me of Tadzio from the 1971 film Death in Venice. Then, a little blonde boy of about six or seven ran up and kicked sand at them. I wasn't sure if this was playful or slightly malicious. The dream then started to end. As I woke up, I was sobbing. My mom, in the dream, was trying to look at me to see if I was alright, but I wouldn't let her see my face. I woke up alone on the floor of my apartment. I had fallen asleep on a couple of small, semi-deflated beanbag chairs. I immediately put on Sullen Girl and felt completely overwhelmed with the flood of complex emotions. The dream was extremely abstract and difficult to describe. There was much more to it than the small details I could remember. I felt intense sadness and a sort of melancholic euphoria throughout. I felt like I was physically crying during the entire dream, but woke up with no tears on my face or any sign that I had been crying. The euphoric feeling had to do with the sense that I was using my brain in a way that I never could while awake. I saw all these meaningful connections between seemingly random things that I tried to hold on to during the lucid stage of the dream so that I could remember them when I woke up. Unfortunately, I didn't come away with much, but there was still a lot of significance. Fiona Apple came out with her newest album, Fetch the Bolt Cutters, on April 17th, 2020, 
which was recorded from 2015 to 2020, mostly at her home in Venice Beach, Los Angeles. As I mentioned at the beginning of the century, the stream occurred in 2015. The boys at the end of the dream were on the beach and reminded me of Tadzio from Death in Venice, and there's synchronicity between where the album was recorded and the beach at the end of the dream. Also, the song Sullen Girl has a lot of beach-related imagery in it. Blonde on Blonde is arguably Dylan's masterpiece, and there were two blonde youths and a little blonde boy at the end of the dream. I can't help but notice the subtle connections between the word Cutters from Fetch the Bolt Cutters and the name Cuddy, the character from House played by the actress whose younger self was in the dream. I didn't know it at the time of the dream, but Bob Dylan's immediate family was similar to the ones in the dream's opera-slash-play, which contained a mother, father, and two boys. Dylan's brother, and only sibling, is five years his junior. The most uncanny thing about this, that I had no knowledge of any of these connections at the time of the dream, Fetch the Bolt Cutters would come out almost exactly five years later. I learned all this information this year because I was looking through my dream journals and happened to reread the dream. It was the very first dream that I recorded in my current journal. I noticed some synchronicity and connected the dots just recently. The more I reflect on this dream, the more connections and synchronicities I find. And I will conclude with one of the eeriest coincidences that a supermoon occurred on the evening of March 9th, 2020. It happened to be the biggest and brightest full moon of 2020. A supermoon is a full moon that falls near the perigee, a point in the moon's orbit when it's at its closest distance to Earth. I had a dream about something called the Moonstone Virus on March 9th, 2015. March 11th of 2020 was when the global pandemic was declared, and March 9th, 2020, was the day of the biggest and brightest supermoon of that year. Make of that what you will. For reference, I am a female, and this is something that happened to me about 26 years ago, when I was 22, and living with my mom and stepdad in a small community known as Juniper Woods Ranch, which sat just outside of a small town in Arizona. Juniper Woods Ranch got its name from the juniper trees that enveloped the landscape of the community. The roads at that time were unpaved and rough in certain spots, and when it rained, it was extremely difficult to get in or out because the creeks would flood and the red clay. Anyway, one day my friend Marilyn, who lived about two miles further up from where we lived, came over and asked me if I wanted to spend the weekend with her at her place, and if I wanted to go to Jerome with her the next day. I said yes, that sounds like fun, so I packed up some things and we got into her truck and drove off towards her house. Now, 
The further you get back into Juniper Woods, the more isolated and scarce the population becomes, and now you are surrounded by nothing but trees and silence. We got to her house and settled in, and we began to talk about different things that girls talk about. Later that evening, as she was cooking dinner, I decided I would go and explore around her property and just enjoy the quiet and beauty of my surroundings. The whole time I was outside, the air felt heavy, and I always felt like something was watching me. I just felt completely uneasy. Well, anyway, later we ate dinner and she asked me if I wanted to watch a movie, and I said, sure thing. So, she asked me if I had ever seen the movie The Howling, and I told her, yeah, I think once. She said, great, that's the movie we're watching, and I go cool. She puts the movie in, and she goes into the kitchen to make us some popcorn and something to drink, and when she returned, she started the movie. We started watching it, and now I remember why I only watched it once. There's just something about the howling that unnerves me, and literally scares me to death. I don't know. Maybe it's the way it invokes almost raw and pure fear inside of me, and that's why I won't watch it. Even to this day, I still have nightmares. Well, after the movie was over, she said, We need to go to sleep. We've got a long and busy day tomorrow. And I said, okay, cool. We said goodnight and she went off to her room. Her house had four large windows in her living room, and they did not have curtains on them. As I laid on the couch, the light from the moon that hung high that night illuminated almost the entire room. Feeling myself dozing off, I rolled over, got comfortable, and covered my head. I don't know how long I laid there, before I heard this low, guttural growl and heavy breathing. Thinking to myself, okay, you just watched a horror movie, and your mind is playing tricks on you, and I need to stop scaring myself. As I was trying to get comfortable, I heard the noise again. For whatever reason, I took my head out from under the covers, and I wished to God that I hadn't. Standing not but a few feet away, there was something very large, hairy, and staring at me with human-like eyes and intense anger. I quickly threw the covers back over my head and laid there frozen and shaking, just thinking at any time this creature was going to attack me and possibly kill me. Again, I don't know how long I laid there. When it seemed like it had moved closer to me, because its breathing and growling sounded closer and I could feel its hot breath on me. The smell was overwhelmingly nauseating, and I fought back the urge to throw up. I took my head out from under the covers again, and it had moved closer, and I could just now make out what the creature looked like. This creature had to have stood over seven feet tall. It had a head and snout like a wolf and hair like a wire brush. Its arms were semi-long, and it had razor-sharp claws. 
Its legs looked deformed. They didn't look like they should be able to hold that kind of weight or height. And its teeth? Oh, dear God, its teeth. They were long and yellow, and its mouth was dripping with drool. I tried to let out a scream, but nothing would come out. Frozen and unable to move, I just laid there staring at whatever the hell this thing was as it stared back at me. I don't know if it was from pure fear, but I must have passed out because the next thing I know, my friend Marilyn is waking me up and telling me that breakfast is done. She stops and looks at me and goes, Are you alright, hun? You don't look so good. I couldn't say anything, but what she asked me next terrified me as much as the creature did. She asked me how I slept, and did I see anything scary last night. I don't know what it was, or if it was just my imagination. Was my friend Marilyn a skinwalker? <laughs> I don't know, because I never went back to stay the night at her house again. The story takes place over several years and happened while I was in late high school slash early community college. My two best friends lived directly across the street from one another. Mike had been there most of his life, and Rob and his parents moved in directly across the street. We used their street as a headquarters slash chill spot and would spend most of our days together. It was always us three, and then random friends that would come and go as well. Since Rob's house was bigger, the three of us, along with anyone else that joined, would all gather primarily in his house, as it had a large, finished basement, and it was easier to just be teenagers down there. Rob also used his computer room, for band practice. Weird things started to happen that we couldn't explain. Entire groups of people were experiencing this, so I know we weren't crazy. It bothered some of us, but for the most part, we were just curious about it. Being teenagers, we all just instantly classified it as demons, of course. Off the top of my head, here are some isolated events. 1. Heavy footsteps upstairs in the middle of the night. We went upstairs, grabbed kitchen knives, walked the whole house, even upstairs where both of his parents were dead asleep, and didn't see anything. Upon further inspection... We noticed a sand dollar decoration that Rob's mom had set on the living room coffee table was smashed to pieces, just sitting on the coffee table, as if it was struck by a hammer. We also inspected the old grandfather clock and noticed the pendulum was not swinging. It usually does. The clock was also icy cold to the touch. Two, following a party, 
all of us crashed in the basement. I want to say that there were at least five people there. We kept hearing this weird 8-bit music coming from an unidentifiable source. No matter where we were looking, the sound seemed to be coming from nowhere and everywhere all at once. None of us were able to identify what the tune or melody was. One of our friends got so upset that he went home. 3. Another night, Mike saw a shadow figure go into the laundry room. It was a room connected to the basement. And when he turned the light on and went in there, of course, there was nothing there. All of us were accounted for, so it wasn't anyone pulling a prank. 4. I wasn't there for this one, but Rob and Mike were hanging out alone at Rob's house and claimed that they had to lock themselves in one of the bedroom upstairs as they felt something chasing slash stalking them. They heard footsteps rushing up the stairs and then to the door. 5. Assorted random events. Things being misplaced, strange sounds at night. These would happen periodically over the years. One night... Rob claims the demon showed itself to him in the basement when he was there alone. It didn't seem threatening. It was a man wearing a denim jacket, standing in the hallway, propped up against the wall with his arms crossed. It then dissipated. Rob said he didn't feel threatened or scared, and that he felt rather comfortable with this ghost. There was nothing malicious about it. Since we didn't have a name for it, we decided to name the ghost Denny because of his denim jacket. We now had a name for it, and would refer to this ghost as Denny for the remainder of the time. Whenever we would see Rob at school or around town, we'd ask him if he's seen or heard from Denny. I don't actually remember if we saw the apparition again, but small things would happen here or there. We'd all just chalk it up to Denny and move on with our days. We officially stopped being afraid of it, strangely. One day, I was hanging out with Mike and his mom across the street at Mike's. Rob wasn't home, so it was just us. Mike's mom had been a local bartender in the area for decades, and we were just sharing some Denny stories with her. I'm pretty sure a Denny event happened the day prior, so we were just giving her a recap of what we'd experienced. Keep in mind, we had not mentioned the name Denny to her as she didn't have any context, so we just referred to it as the ghost when speaking to her. She goes on to tell us that she knew the man that lived there before Rob and his family moved in. He was a local at the bar she worked at, and he had apparently died of brain cancer some time ago. When we asked her what his name was, she said, Yeah, his name was Dennis, but we all called him Denny. I felt like I had just been struck by lightning. 
Rob claims the activity had stopped completely since then. Had we given the spirit peace by acknowledging him and befriending him? Did he finally go to the other side because we learned his backstory? How was it possible that he told us his name without ever actually telling us his name? I have so many questions. Well, that's my ghost story, told as well as I could remember it. So, I thought I would share some of my stories. Three are kind of scary or fun and deal with ghost encounters. The other one is odd, perhaps intriguing, and happened when I got a concussion at age seven. All the stories are short and hopefully interesting. First, I'll describe what my family likes to call the Ghost Mariachi Band. I remember hearing about it from one of my younger brothers before I encountered it for myself. I'll shortly tell you how he described it, and then I'll recall what I remember when it happened to me. So, to start out, I should mention that my mom lives in a pretty small southern California town named Falon. It's nearly pitch black at night, and it's mainly all dirt roads, with one main paved road leading to town. One night, we're talking about the knocking on the windows. That's another story I'll tell after this one about random knocking on the windows of my mom's house. While talking about the knocking, he asks if I've also heard the ghost mariachi band. I laughingly say no, and he goes on to tell me this. So... To start out, this only happens in summer months, for some reason. A random loud playing, what can be described as, mariachi band will start up. It sounds like a big party going on with music, cheering, and dancing. But there's no light or party to spot when searching. You will swear the sound is coming from a certain direction... You can head in that direction, the sound will become louder, and then cut out. You think you're just about to find it or be on top of it because the music is loud, but nothing. We've even stood on the roof and looked over the desert in the direction of the music. And every single time, we see nothing. Anywho, when I experienced it, we were going down the dirt road at night... I was visiting for summer vacation, as I did not live with my mom. The windows were down because the night air felt good, and then I hear it, very faintly in the night. I turn and ask my brother, Did you hear that? He perks up and listens, his eyes widen a bit, and then he smiles. <laughs> the ghost mariachi band, he says. As we drive... We can hear it get a little louder. By the time we get to the house, I know that I can definitely hear it, and it's close enough that if I got on the roof, I would definitely be able to see it. But absolutely nothing. I'm dumbfounded. I never went looking into the night for it, 
I simply took my brother's word for it when he said we wouldn't be able to find it, because they had already tried many a time. Sometimes I wish I had too. Okay, next, the knocking on the windows. Not a 100% why the knocking on the windows would happen, but I blame it on the desert being haunted in general. Again, this happened at my mom's house in Falon. All that would occur was tapping or knocking on the windows from outside. It wasn't the window shaking. It sounded like small bangs or taps. It only happened at night. I know this could be explained away, possibly, but I've had houses where the windows bang or rattle from wind or air pressure, and it didn't seem like this was the case. Not only did it happen at my mom's house, but my best friend's house down the road, roughly 8 to 10 miles away. Thought it was maybe ghosts on their nightly routines trying to get attention. The third ghost story is another short one. It occurred at my old house in Rancho Cucamonga when I lived at my grandparents. I was young. I'm going to say five to seven years old. My grandma told me to take the laundry out to the garage where the washing machine was. I opened the door and started to walk in the garage with my head down, looking at the baskets of clothes. Then, my gaze slowly gets turned up as a tall, white form starts to appear in front of my vision. I look up fully, and lo and behold, a white figure is looming towards me. Fight-or-flight response turns on, and I book it out of there. I don't run in and tell my grandma. Instead, all I remember is running in and hiding in my mom's room where I ended up passing out, not too long after. Lastly, is my concussion story. The only reason I'm telling this one is because it was such an odd experience, and I kind of want to see if anyone else has had a trippy concussion memory. I was again young, seven years old. My neighborhood friends and older brother and I are jumping off a fence onto the ground as a sort of game. This part that I don't know, and my brother ends up telling me about it later, when I'm recalling what I remember to him. I jump off, and I fall on my head. And they try to wake me up, but I'm knocked out. My brother and his friend then pick me up and drop me on the front lawn of my house. All my neighborhood kids scatter, and I'm just left there. Now, what I recall... I jumped off the fence, and then was flying on a magic carpet, flying above the street and down the few houses to my lawn, where I crash-landed. Then, I wake up very confused with a massive headache, and no one is around. It felt so real, flying on that magic carpet. It honestly kind of messed with me. From just having a normal day of playing and then snap your flying then crashing and waking up. In the five years that followed, I'd think about the weird flying carpet dream and, eventually, one day brought it up to my brother. He just said, Oh yeah, I remember that. You fell off and got knocked out, so we panicked and dropped you off in the front lawn. <laughs> Thanks, Jake. 
No hard feelings, though. We were just kids. Alright. I hope the stories were fun and somewhat spooky. Have a good one. Hey, people. First time posting. I've been freaking out about this for a bit, and I need to get it off of my chest. I grew up in a very small town in Australia, and went to a very small primary school, about 80 people. I was talking to my best friend Laura, and we were passing stories back and forth about our childhood, and I mentioned that I used to have a best friend called Laura as well in primary school that I hadn't thought about in years. I told her about how we used to hate the popular girls and created a code that we would write in to talk stuff about them. Like they were mean and ugly. You know, childish insults. I decided after leaving her house to see if I could find my primary school friend on Facebook. Growing up in a small town means it's very easy to find people from your life and there you normally have multiple friends in common. I typed her name in, and I couldn't find her. I decided to go through the friends from primary school friends lists, as I know a lot of girls that use their middle name as their last name on Facebook. Not sure why people do this, but surely one of them would be friends with her. After searching for a while, I had no luck, and gave up, so maybe she doesn't have it. A couple of days later... I received a call from my father, catching up, asking how things were going. I asked him if he remembers Laura, as I remember my father knew her aunt, as they would always talk when picking us both up from school, and he used to work for her family. My father thought for a while, and told me that he doesn't remember her at all. He did remember the family, as I told him the last name, but told me that I never went to school with any of their children, as they were a rich family, and they all went to private school. I was a bit freaked out, but my dad has a terrible memory, so I guessed it was just that. But I was still curious. I decided to ring one of my friends from primary school, let's call him Aaron, to ask him if he remembered her. He told me no, but... Then I brought up the code that me and Laura had, and he told me he remembers me having the code and using it in school, but no one else knew what it was. This is where I'm lost. I've been asking everyone about her, and no one remembers. I started to get really frustrated at this point, and dug up old school photos to put this to rest. Looking tonight, the photo gave me literal chills, I looked through every year, and I started to shake. She's not there, in any of them. I don't know why I remember her so clearly, but yet she doesn't exist. Why the hell would I make up a code that only I knew how to read? It doesn't make sense. Anyway, I just needed to get this off my chest. I feel like a part of my life has been taken away, and if it's happened before... Could it happen again? Thanks for listening, guys. The OP then added an edit. Hey, everyone. 
Uh, first of all, thank you so much for all the upvotes. I didn't expect to see this much of a response. So for those who wanted an update, here it is. I went back to my hometown to visit, and also decided to do some investigating. Firstly, I visited my dad, and got him to call the auntie of Laura that I remembered after talking to her on the phone. She told us that she had two nieces, Kate and Amy, and confirmed that neither of them went to my primary school, and they're both older than me, the youngest being five years older, so they would not have been in my school year. I didn't get any time to visit my old primary school, but my mom had the school yearbooks that I didn't have, so I was able to go through them to see. And again, I couldn't find her. Also, for those who are wondering, my school photo book, there's a little section at the bottom that shows who was absent on photos day. So, I crossed that idea off, but here's where it gets strange. I got to the point where I decided I must have made her up as some sort of friend I had made in my head when I didn't have many. But here's the stranger part. One night, I decided to meet up with some friends at the pub, have a beer, and catch up. While there, I ran into many people I've known throughout the year, including ones from primary school. One of the girls I knew, let's say Alice, was there and came over, and she did the usual, oh, how are you, what's new, and so forth. See, at this point, I had met up with Aaron, so we were doing our normal catch-up that we do every time I go back to visit, and he decided to mention to Alice about Laura, as I had talked to him about her a couple weeks ago. He was mocking me, saying stuff like, Opie actually believed his imaginary friend was real, laughing and pointing at me. Alice just looked at him dumbfounded and, after a bit, said, Yeah, he did have a friend, Laura. I never talked to her, but they always hung out at lunch. You guys would always be drawing or some weird stuff together, yeah? My eyes widened, and I yelled out, Yes! Uh, to the point that the whole bar almost heard me. Alice just giggled and looked at me and said, Well, she was real. I do remember her. Sort of jokingly making out Aaron to be an idiot for not remembering. Alice then asked what she was doing now, and I played it off, and said that we just didn't keep in touch. I didn't really feel like explaining the whole thing and sounding crazy, but Aaron was just quiet the whole time. After saying goodbye to Alice, Aaron just looked over at me and shook his head. You're freaking haunted or some stuff, mate. Again, playing it off because at this point I just wanted to forget about it, I reply, yeah, I must be. And we didn't talk about it for the rest of the night. So, thanks for listening, people. At this point, I just not going to think about it and let it fade away in my memories. I've been spending way too much mental power on this the last couple weeks, and I feel drained. I think I'm never going to get a clear answer, and I'm going to have to just leave it at that. This actually didn't happen to me. 
It's a story that happened to my aunt back when she was in her mid-twenties. And I'm going to say that it's an incredibly intense story, and this should definitely serve as a type of trigger warning. Like I said, she was in her mid-twenties, and this happened back in the late 80s, a few years after I was born. Unfortunately, all of this has been told to me, as I was just a baby when it happened, so I may miss some of the details, but I don't think it diminishes the overall story. The story happened while they were still married, but he is her ex-husband now, so I think it counts. My aunt and uncle met back whenever they were in high school, and they became a couple back when they were about 18. From there, they got married at the age of 22, and then were trying to have kids, but come to find out, my uncle was sterile and could not have kids. From what I've been told, this caused problems between them, and they were on the edge of divorce, but decided to go into counseling to try and fix it. From there, they supposedly got to a point where they were okay, and things were essentially repaired. At least, that's how it looked from the outside. This was apparently not true at all. They were actually in a worse situation than before. Apparently, when they went to counseling, my aunt's husband started down the path of becoming super religious. And, while there's nothing inherently wrong with being religious, he took it to a whole other level. He apparently became super controlling over my aunt, and started making her go to church with him, and start cutting the family and friends out of her life. It hit a point where she told us they were doing great together, and that we didn't need to worry about her. On the other side of that fence, he was abusive, controlling, and just genuinely doing whatever he could to ruin her life and make her miserable. She said that it started with him telling her that she needed to repent and beg for forgiveness from Jesus. She said that she was okay with this, and saw that maybe devotion to a higher power would be enough to keep them together. She started going to his church, she started praying nightly with him, and they started doing nightly Bible reads. Slowly, that controlling behavior started digging in. He started telling her what she could and could not eat. He started telling her that she wasn't allowed to leave without his permission. After a while, he even started controlling the music that she could listen to and what TV shows she could watch. Basically anything that was violent, sexual, or had inappropriate language was strictly prohibited from their house. Her husband literally hit a point where he was treating her like a child and running every single minute of her life. This would be bad enough, but things actually started getting worse with him. After he was at a point where controlling her wasn't enough, he started physically abusing her when she got out of line. All the while, he would be citing biblical scripture to her about things that were barely relevant. The big thing that happened between them 
actually happened about a year into all this. My aunt had managed to get away from him for a little while, I have no idea how, and spoke with a lawyer. She was able to get the paperwork started for them to get a divorce, and she brought it home to him. And then she told him that she wanted out of their relationship. While I commend her for being bold and standing up to him in this situation, it's not typically something that goes well when dealing with an abuser. And this did not go well. As soon as my aunt started talking about divorce, he started screaming at her about the sanctity of marriage and yelling about how her asking for a divorce was a literal slap in the face of Jesus. She told him that his abusive behavior was the exact opposite of what a true follower of his religion should have been doing, and then he went berserk. He went off on her, asking how she could dare to call him a blasphemer. At that point, he snapped. He started saying something about how she was possessed by Satan. He started telling her that the devil was using her to attack him, and her inability to have a child, even though it was him that was sterile, was proof that she was nothing more than a puppet for the demons. He then grabbed a knife and told her that he had no choice but to kill her in order to prove his love to God. That night... That man stabbed my aunt seven times. He used a kitchen knife and stabbed her over and over until he was sure that she was dead, and then he left her to bleed out. Fortunately, my aunt was way more of a fighter than he anticipated, and she had managed to actually survive the attack. She managed to knock the phone off the base that was in the kitchen, and she dialed 911, and by some modern medical miracle, she made it through. As for him, the cops actually arrested him in a church. Apparently, after attempting to murder his wife with multiple stab wounds and thinking that he has succeeded, he drove to the church that they attended, covered in blood, and asked the priest to say a prayer for him. Instead of sitting and praying with him, he called the cops. It's almost ironic that he tried to kill my aunt because Jesus wanted him to, and she survived, and then he went to a church only for the religious figurehead to betray him and turn him in to the police. It's almost like attempted murder of your spouse isn't something that Jesus, or really any deity, would want you to do, and that's an absolutely crazy-as-hell way to think. My aunt fully recovered. She does have some gnarly scars on her stomach and chest now. I'm just grateful that she made it, and that this guy is in prison for the rest of his life. Maybe, just maybe, someone out there really was watching this situation, and made sure that it went the way that it was actually supposed to. Every summer, a group of my friends gets together to go on a week-long vacation. There's usually four of us, but this year, we bullied our friend into bringing her girlfriend, too. We would decide on a place and a couple of activities to do in the area, 
and then we would rent a condo or vacation home, so we had the whole place to ourselves, instead of going back and forth between hotel rooms. We all agreed on Utah, as we wanted to go hiking in the national parks. We found a small home for a great price. It didn't have many reviews, but the ones that were there were all great. It was a two-bedroom, with a sectional in the living room, as well as one of those giant recliner chairs. There was plenty of room for us all to hang out and to sleep. We went in late June. We all met up at Layla and Desiree's place, as they agreed to drive this year, as Desiree had an SUV, so we could all fit better. It took us about 20 hours or so to get there, with little issues. Thankfully, Layla is also good with cars, so I was grateful that she came with us. The house had a pin lock, so no key needed, and it made it so much easier on five people. We got in, and it looked even better than the pictures. When we weren't outside, we were definitely going to be spending a lot of time in the living room, and I called dibs on the chair the moment that I sat in it. And there was a huge flat screen with two racks of movies and TV shows. They had stocked up the kitchen with tons of different snacks and foods with a long shelf life. Different granola bars, chips, popcorn, dried fruit, puddles of water, and the fridge was like a small liquor store with beer, wines, and mixers. There was even a small pool in the back that was full and kept clean. The bedrooms had a king size in one and a queen in the other. Layla and Dez took one room, Natalia got the other, and Alma and Hannah and I took over the living room. And there was a note on the fridge with the rules and requirements, like the normal that we see in these places. Usually, they just post them on the rental site, but sometimes you may find them in the rental or additional requests. The rules were a lot of the normal. No smoking, if you break it, replace it, contact for any maintenance issues, etc. But one of them was different. It mentioned keeping the shower curtain to the right, as it allows the light from the window to shine in and helps with drying the floor, preventing mold and mildew. I didn't know how any of that worked, so it made sense to me. So I reminded the girls, and we moved on. Once we all got unpacked, we went to the grocery store to pick up a few things to make our own dinners. We then just had a nice night in, while we determined our plans for the next few days. The next day, we went to Zion National Park. It was one of my favorite parks that I had gone to, and there were plenty of trails to walk on, but there was also a few streams we ran into that we took advantage of to cool off. We may have even filled a bottle with some of the water as a nice reminder of the time that we had. By the time we got all the way around, we were hot and exhausted. So, we picked up food and brought it back to the house. After eating, I decided to go take a shower. As I went into the bathroom, I rubbed my hand against the wall to turn on the light, and... As I did this, I saw what looked like a light that was coming from the shower. I turned the light on, and 
saw nothing. I turned the light back off, still nothing. Thinking I was just seeing things, maybe the moonlight from the stained glass window or something, I moved on with my shower. The rest of the night went as usual. We drank and talked until we passed out. The next day, we decided to make it more laid back. We went shopping, found a local place to eat, and would then head back to go swimming. Once we got home, Natalia wasn't feeling well, so we decided to skip swimming and just watch a movie instead. As we settled in with our snacks, Dez was picking out a movie. She pulled out Fifty First Dates. It was one of my favorites. When she opened it, her face changed from all smiles to confusion. She said it was a blank disc that looked like it was a homemade video with the title Young Couple 2018. We were confused by this, but poor Layla and her naivety thought maybe it was the owner of this place and that they put it in the wrong case. Based on the look on Desiree's face, we both had the same thought. She put the DVD in the player, and to our disgust, we were right. This was home footage of this very place. The worst part is this was coming from the bathroom. That's when it clicked in my head. The light that I saw in the bathroom, I started telling them about what I saw, and Dez told me to show her. I followed her to the bathroom as we started looking around based on the angle of the video we saw. She rubbed her hand along the wall, and right between two tiles toward the top, she could see a small gap in the caulking. After looking closer, she could tell there was a small hole. She immediately told us to get out. She closed the shower curtain and shut the door. Now it was obvious why they wanted the curtain in that position. It kept the view of the camera open to the rest of the bathroom. At this point, we had called the cops. All five of us had showered, dressed in, and used that bathroom. I know I speak for them as well when I say that I felt violated. By the time they arrived, we had already packed up all of our stuff and, in tears, we explained what we had found. They saw the video, and they saw the spot where the camera was in the bathroom, and without us realizing, Dez had gone to the bathroom they stayed in and found one in a vase of fake flowers on a corner shelf. It was buried in between other little belongings, so it was just as hard to see. Who knew how many cameras there were? I know the owner had been contacted. The cops had to call the vacation place we went through to get his contact information. We all pressed charges, and he tried to say that it was for security. Don't worry, that line didn't work because he legally wasn't allowed to put them inside the home, only outside. Oh, not to mention, he wasn't allowed to keep recordings like that. We did get a full refund from the company, thankfully, because we had to get a hotel room. We thought about going back home, but Dez wouldn't let us back down. She convinced us to not let that stop us and ruin our plans. Unfortunately... We're all too afraid to rent from individuals now that 
this is in the back of our minds, but we agree that Des should be a permanent addition to our trips due to her attention to details. We just spend a little extra money for a bit more peace of mind. Around 1986, a toddler-sized talking doll, whose name I'm still too superstitious to repeat, hit the market. She had blonde, curly ringlets, and large blue eyes that moved around when she talked. The sounds she made came from a cassette player that was built into her back, and her rubber mouth would open and close along with the audio. The first time I saw one of these dolls in person was at a friend's house. For the next year, I would persistently beg my parents for that doll. And when I was eight, they surprised me with one for my birthday. Between 1988 and 1989, the doll and I got along well. I started to outgrow the cutesy and babyish cassettes that came with her, so, sometimes, I would put random tapes in her back. Even music. I would laugh hysterically as her mouth and eyes moved along with everything from classical music to my dad's boring financial tutorials, narrated by a droning male voice. That man's voice emanating from the doll's mouth was totally creepy, but even more hilarious. I inevitably got bored of this, but for at least a year, I had some good times with her. It was toward the end of my fourth grade school year in 1989, and one night I was getting ready for bed as I always did. This night was marked by a gradual uneasiness, which started out as barely noticeable, but by the time I was in bed... I began to worry that I may never get to sleep. It was odd, because there was nothing in particular I was anticipating or that was bothering me. No class trips, tests, or anything that might trigger a sleepless night. I wondered if I was coming down with something. I was feeling ever so slightly unwell and the sensations in my body were causing me a great deal of anxiety. I lay with discomfort for at least two hours, wanting to toss and turn, but felt too emotionally paralyzed to move. For some reason, I wanted to face the wall. In fact, I was afraid to face the open space of my room. A sense of dread emerged. I remembered what my mom told me about not being able to sleep. She recommended that I didn't force myself to close my eyes, so I left them open. Periodically, my eyelids would close, but then my awareness of them closing would wake me up. Another hour went by, and I was used to hearing the occasional whirring of cars. But after laying awake for so long... The traffic noise gradually ceased. The quietness of the room was... distracting. Judging by the lack of street noise, I'm guessing that it was three or even four in the morning. 
Then, I heard something impossibly bizarre and barely audible. My baby brother's crib was across the room by the window. He was not yet talking, no more than a couple of words, and certainly wasn't counting. But I heard him not just counting, but doing it backwards from ten. Every number was spoken in an exaggeratedly drawn-out sing-song voice that started from a lower tone and eventually made its way to a higher one. I peeked over my shoulder to look at the crib, but it looked like my brother was asleep. Ten, nine, eight, seven. I pulled the covers tightly around my body and tried to convince myself that I didn't hear what I just heard. After all, the volume of that tiny voice was extremely low. Perhaps the baby was babbling in his sleep and my brain tried to make sense of it. Could I have dozed off? Well, uh, that's the thing. I had been awake the entire night. Five, four, etc. Then, a faint clicking sound came from the corner beside my brother's crib. There was a small wooden chair in that corner. Each of its legs had a metal wheel which clicked in such a way when the chair was being moved. It was unmistakable. The chair was moving on its own. I didn't dare turn to look because I was depending on that last ounce of denial that I could muster. The worst thing about this chair, other than its sudden independent movement, was that it was the permanent residence of the doll when it was not in use. I knew that she was sitting on the chair before I got into bed. Then... It felt as though all the air was sucked out of the room, and I could only hear the clicking of the chair's wheels as they inched closer to my bed. I started to call out for my parents, but I was unable to yell loudly enough. The fear was so intense that I could barely move. But eventually, I decided that I should just make a run for the door. The problem was, in order to get out of the room, I would have to risk looking at the doll. Finally, I was able to move a little, and that's when I made the mistake of turning my head too far around and saw the doll in her chair, inches away from my bed. What's worse is that her face was contorted in such a way that, as an adult, I can compare to Regan from The Exorcist. But as a nine-year-old... I had no concept of it. The doll's eyes were also looking upward, but slightly to one corner, creating an absolutely horrifying image that I will never forget. That's when I let out a powerful shriek. I did so reflexively, and it was almost like I was listening to someone else scream. When my parents came running in, the doll was back in her corner, and I was never believed. I slept in my parents' bed that night, and they were angry at me. I dreamed that I was in a car driving in circles around some suburban neighborhood I have never seen before. Living alone with the aftermath of this experience 
was traumatic in and of itself. The following week, I was so paranoid about seeing inanimate objects doing things they weren't supposed to, that I jumped to conclusions about certain things. For instance, the shampoo and conditioner that was in the shower one evening felt significantly heavier than they did earlier in the day, and I was afraid that the substances somehow materialized at will. My mom insisted that water probably got in the bottles, but it didn't. I turned the bottles over, and no excess water came out. Perhaps it was my paranoia, but I'm not ruling anything out. Not after what I experienced. It took several months to feel somewhat normal again, and to this day, I am still affected by this incident.